warning. This podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. We might just have done it. We did, I think. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We are live, live once again on the I Am No Joe podcast channel. Welcome everyone to the latest episode here of the I'm No Joe podcast, the show where every armchair quarterback can feel like an Eddie Bravo. Today, like most days, I've got a panel full of shenaniganry just waiting to get into it here. Before we jump into it, let's take a quick moment and go around the room, say hi to everybody, and thank you, first and foremost, to my Wednesday night cohort, my combat shit-talking hombre, the one and only Galty Vapes. How the fuck are you doing tonight, sir? Fucking excellent. A little bummed about this weekend's card, but yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, understandable. Although, Maybe there's a chance that I get to watch somebody get his teeth kicked in because he's a fucking cocksucker. So. There is absolutely a chance. I will be sitting with fingers, toes, other things crossed, just hoping we see another Lima moment coming through. But we'll just get to that. Please let that happen. Just a little bit. <laughs> Fuck that guy. That's uh, all I'm saying. I agree. I agree. And I can't wait to talk more shit about him in just a little bit. But before we get to that point, I do want to take a moment to say thank you for popping in our special guest, Mr. Patrick here, host of Fight Church and Nine Minute Podcast. Thank you, sir, for stopping in this fine evening. Yeah, man. It's, uh, you know, the weather's good. And, you know, that's what I like to talk about, the weather. And I thought that's why we were here. But turns out it's MMA. And I know nothing about that. No, of course. Uh, glad to be here, dude. So pumped to be able to talk to real people about a sport that I never get to talk about. It's nice. It's nice. And it's this is one of those, uh, for lack of a better terms, a, a casual safe space, if you will, where you're free to express any and all ridiculous MMA theories, philosophies, and beliefs, because that's kind of what we do here. We're not the strictest, most hardcore. We kind of try and appeal to the masses, as it were, break down the interesting things, and just, you know, get into the shit of it. So all you're right. in good company, sir. <laughs> yes. Feels like it already. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time to pop in, sir. Yeah, let's do it. So, as we tend to do around here, first, before we get into the thick of it, we are going to do a little bit of a news and recent events segment here. Uh, some things that have happened since the last episode we did, uh, a prominent fight announcements, uh, things that have just gone on in the MMA world since we talked to you fine folks last. Uh, after that, we will get into a little bit of recap from last weekend's overload of just fucking amazing brawls that went through so first and foremost um i want to take just a moment to say boom roasted bitch that's right the thing that 99 percent of us knew was going to fucking happen came to fruition the funky one himself went on ariel hawani's show on monday and announced he is officially and 100 retired from mma and everything else I mean, for a guy that went 0-3 asterisks in the UFC, yes. you know, at the peak of his career. Goodbye. Sorry, sayonara. Bye, Felicia, as it were. <laughs> now, after that, we got not quite as good as solid of an interesting tidbit, but along the same lines, very 
in the same vein, as it were, of the uh, announcement from Mr. Askren, we got word from one Luke Rockhold where he said, and I quote, I just don't have the passion for this anymore. Maybe one day, but not right now. So essentially, Luke Rockhold has unofficially officially retired, so we can at least look forward to still not seeing him in the octagon again like we haven't for the longest time now. A.K.A. my chin is shit, and I can't take a punch. Yeah, uh, he uh, seemed to have followed that uh, Weidman playbook of, my chin will be better if I go up to 205, and we saw how that worked out in both situations. So, you know, best of luck in going back into modeling where you don't get punched in that fucking chiseled jawline anymore and make that money, boo-boo. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I think they might be screwing a couple of those fighters a little bit. I mean, they're sending him in there with Jan, and he's fucking everybody up who goes up weight class. Doesn't matter who they put up in front of him. I'm saying he's the move up killer. That's all it is. Go yeah, he really is. He really is the fucking the stop all for the fucking 185ers trying to make it up there as well. Uh, one other thing that was announced uh, just yesterday. Three fighters from the PFL's most recent round of competitions have now all been suspended for steroids, very much fucking up the plans for PFL's rest of the year slash beginning of next year's promotions as they go forward. So as far as their whole cleaner than the UFC image and reputation that they've been really, really hard at pushing forward, uh, that goes out the window with uh, Ben and Luke's career, as it were. That ain't going to happen no more because this is <laughs> two events in a row where they had multiple people get popped for uh, pissing hot, I believe. The th- well, this might be the third one in a row, actually. Yeah, I mean, but you got to take your chances, though, right? That's a million-dollar prize. If I'm if I'm going, <laughs> come on, yeah. you got to fight more than once in a night. Hey, I'm I mean, the PFL still has there. one thing going for them, though, and that's just that. They're still on ESPN with the UFC. That's true. Well, yeah. that and the the main thing, ironically enough, that I will say that the PFL is absolutely doing better than UFC, better than Bellator, better than One, better than Ryzen, any of those guys, is that they've got a women's division that is a legitimate women's division, and it goes all the way from one, I think they go down to 105, and they go all the way up to 165, and they are all legitimately rounded and full divisions of actual women from that weight that can all fucking bang in the octagon. So That Adam weight thing, that's fucking crazy. Well, you got to think, that's where Watterson came from. When she used to fight over Invicta, she was a fucking Adam weight queen for a hot minute over there. Yeah, but can we deny the fact that a lot of these women fights outside of the champions or ones that are have been or you know fight for the title, they go to decision. It doesn't matter what weight class it is. So oh, if yeah. we're talking about atom weights, that's even less punching power, less knockouts, less excitement. So the argument for the flyweight division of men's versus women's any division is stronger because I mean, no matter how dorky Henry Cejudo is, those guys he can is. put guys out. Right. Like that guy. Some women can too. I, I I will not deny that, but you can't right. sit here and say that it's more entertaining because bet on any of these next women's fights that are coming up outside of championship fights, bet it to a decision. I promise you, you're going to come out a winner. Right. Oh, yeah. That's a guarantee. Some and of them we, are see good that, fights, though. we see that, but some of them will sit and bang, though. That's, yeah. that's the one good thing. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that they won't be exciting. You're just not going to see the exciting finishes. I feel like right. they're just, a lot of them are more evenly matched, too. 
right well and that that's the other thing as well is giving such a range like the pfl does all the way from adam all the way up to 165 that means there's no reason for a lady to cut weight right where you have essentially every division available for what women generally fight at there's no reason to cut because there's plenty of ladies wherever you walk around and there comes the natural power. So yeah, exactly. better fights. Yeah. Yep. I, I was just going to say, and that leads to better fights because there's no weight cuts. There's no mm-hmm. bullshit. Like uh, we were actually, TJ and I were just talking about this yesterday when uh, ESPN's YouTube channel ran a clip talking back about when Cyborg first came into the UFC last year after her second fight in the UFC, which they made her fight at catchway to 140 because they didn't officially have the 145 division set up yet. They did a like promo on her where she openly talked about the fact that she walks around between 175 and 180, and within three days of the the weigh-ins themselves, she cuts 25 to 30 pounds of that weight. Right. Three fucking days. Yeah. That's, that's a, ridiculous. That's well, what do you think about the fucking the sixth of her body weight? Yeah. So what about the argument where they talk about how? they think about getting rid of the weight cut, but then other fighters say that the weight cut is like a second part of the challenge. Well, I think to that aspect, you have to look at it like the, and I can't believe I'm actually going to say this, but I am. You have to look at it in the eyes that the California state athletic commission do weight cutting within a medically regulated and allowed region, I think is absolutely fine. When you can measure the amount that is being taken during the the average workout, the average camp weight when you first start compared to weigh-in time and you can factor it and make sure that it is within a responsible medical range. Right. I completely understand that. And I agree that does add to a certain degree another aspect of the fight because that's part of being a professional. If you walk around at 185 and you want to fight 170, that's your job to right. make that weight cut as well. So as long as it's safe, I agree. I, I can, I'm completely okay with it. So what do you think that probably is like 15, 20 pounds, maybe? Yeah. I, I think 15 is tops considering well, most doctors say five is where you should stop. Here's the key with that. Look, I'm formally medically trained. I worked as an X-ray cat scan tech for a decade. The general rule of thumb is it is okay to lose up to three pounds per week. They generally want one to two. So let's say you do a 12 week camp. If you get 12 weeks to cut that weight and you do it responsibly, you can drop 24 pounds. Now, what they need to be doing is doing incremental checks like once a month to find out where they're at during the camps. So that way they know they're not doing it in that last three fucking days where it's all water weight and they're dehydrating themselves to all hell possible brain injuries that are worse than what they're going to get anyways because they're getting fucking KO'd. So you do need that. You do need to have something in place for that. And so would it be helpful to have that as long as they're doing it in a medically, like you're being fucking checked, Healthy. like either biweekly or monthly. Look, it takes them three fucking minutes to get you in, check you on a scale and get you the fuck out. You can take three minutes of your training day. Cause you know, let's say you're training six, eight hours a day you still got fucking another 12 hours, 16 hours there where you can fucking go and blow it on eight minutes of that. It's safer too. Like, like we said, it's the, that's the whole idea is to, I mean, fights are going to last longer 
and they're going well, to be and you recover more. better too. Yeah. Like it's like a football game. Like if everyone's out there without helmets on, <clears> it's <throat> going to be a short game, but if you're out, right. you know what I'm saying? Like it just, it, yeah, it makes more sense, but how are they going to regulate that? I mean, I like the idea of all these UFC like facilities that are opening so people can go and train there and have all these things available to them right there. But then again, it's like, how much does that cost? 10 grand, 15 grand. A lot of these fighters are up and comers. Mike Jackson would never have an opportunity to train at a facility such as this because he doesn't right. have the cash flow. <laughs> and I think the other part of that is, is, I don't really think that's what those facilities are for. Well, I'm saying those are just to grow their pool. To be quite honest, I right. think that's for people who want to fight and are already on a good amateur level, they're going to go and train there yeah. to try to grow their fighter pool for the UFC, right. just to no. make their stable larger. Right. Don't get me wrong. The idea behind that is solid because it's a place they can go and get checked, have a dietician there, doctors on staff checking everything, but right. it's, it's kind of a toss-up. I mean, to be honest, I think it's something that they need to assign a physician. Like you say, here, this is who my PCP is. And he'll be checking my weight, and he'll have all the medical records that go with it. I think that would be the only feasible way to do it. Couldn't they just well, if you look like, at Demetrius Johnson has talked about, that's essentially how one does it. Uh, one championship, when you fight over there, you're monitored. Your weight, your hydration levels are monitored year-round, in camp or out of camp. And they won't let you to bleach your body to a point that you're getting down to a weight class you shouldn't safely be getting at. They find out what you walk around at, and that's where they make you fight at. Right. But, I use the word make with air quotes, but they encourage you strongly to fight at the weight class that you naturally walk around at because that's what everyone over there is doing because one championship really does have, in my opinion, a lot more of the the prestige and the honor to, towards the martial arts more so than the entertainment aspect of it. So they stay a little more true to you walk at 171 pounds, you fight 170. You walk at 184 pounds, you don't fight at 170, you fight at 185. Right. And, and again, that's a situation where without the, the hard weight cut on the body, you get better recovery, you get better fights, you get more natural power, and the fights can last longer because the bodies are able to take the damage without being as detrimented during the battle, too. But moving on from that one, uh, next little thing that was just announced this afternoon. So... With Cyborg's move over to Bellator, her debut is going to be January 25th against Julia Budd for the featherweight belt in Bellator's ladies featherweight division, which is going to be an interesting fight all the way around because Julia Budd is a bad, bad woman. But knowing Dana being Dana, the UFC has decided now that they are also going to be putting on a January 25th card in Raleigh, North Carolina for their debut. And added to that card as of this afternoon was one Michael Verbal Taftiesa versus RDA at 170 pounds. 170. So all this talk about RDA staying at 155 because he has unfinished business. Apparently that has either gone to the back burner or have been thrown out the window with Luke Rockhold's career. We are talking a 170-pound RDA, which we have seen in the past is, in my opinion, the best RDA version that there is because he's never had a problem with his chin like a lot of the guys that have been moving up in weight classes. And we saw the last time he went out at 170, RDA is bringing power with him as he moves up in weight class with his fucking skill set against Kiesa, who is a legitimate jiu-jitsu player, but maybe a little bit too squeaky in some holds. It should prove for an interesting physical chess match, in my opinion here, on a card that 
the UFC is really kind of low-key stacking to be greater than that Bellator card. So I think this is going to be an interesting matchup to play out as well because 170 RDA versus Kiesa, who has actually been doing fairly well lately, could be something worth watching, I think. So what do you think, though, over stepping on the Conor McGregor? Uh well, that we'll, we'll actually get to that in just a minute here. That's, okay. that's a whole separate little interesting issue. There's only one other fighter that I can think of in the history that has changed weight classes multiple times where the power also goes and transitions with the chin as well, and that's mm-hmm. fucking Anthony Rumble Johnson. That's the only yes. other one. The only other one. I've never seen it happen because, like you just said, with Han, he's knocking every single 185 route. And you know what? I knew for a fact Chris Weidman was going out. How come both the guys that he knocked out kind of looked the same? Right, right. It wasn't it? Was Chris Weidman and Luke Rockhold, right? Yep. Back to back, slept them both. Good night, pretty boys. See you later. See you on yeah. a magazine. <laughs> yeah, both of them decided that they were going to go up from 185, and we actually took a, a little bit to talk about that last time when when it came up because, for what it's worth, when they were in their prime at 185, both of those guys were legitimate threats. But when you make the decision to move up in weight class because you can't stay where you are anymore instead of because you're in your prime and it's the proper time to start making that transition like Israel Adesanya has talked about doing you aren't doing it to your benefit you're doing it to suffer less detriment and the chin is one of those things that doesn't change when you jump weight classes and we've seen too many guys fall victim to it again just this last weekend bringing up that Anthony Rumble Johnson we actually talked about that a couple weeks ago he said right, he'd yeah, been we, up and down to because he went he went all the way down to one fifty five for one fight yes. if I remember correctly. Yes, one or two, I think. That's a bad, yeah, that's a bad man. Yeah, and, and he walked he's around. Always been with him the whole fucking time. Dude, it doesn't leave him. Out of all the fighters that have had an opportunity to really crush Daniel Cormier, I'm mad that Anthony Rumble Johnson didn't he didn't accomplish it because. He's been my favorite fighter since he took eight inches of a finger into his eye socket. And then he came back and knocked out Evan Shireman to redeem himself in a sense. Like, that's what you get. That's what should have happened the first fight. You're lucky. But I I do look forward to the comeback. He looks in great shape now. And And he's going heavyweight. That's what I'm saying. And there's no fucking neck. (laughs) <laughs> yeah right yeah. there's there's plenty of space for him up there at the heavyweight division as well him and a stipe a francis a, a Derek lewis uh, yeah. it's, it's gonna some damage <laughs> for sure that heavyweight's probably what the most interesting division that there is right now in my opinion yeah i agree uh, and as much as it sucks to say realistically light heavyweight is boring right now it like, used to be the best yeah, it was for the longest run. It was hotter than hot could fucking be, and now it's essentially full of 185 runoff. It's just yep. guys who are too too small, essentially, to be competitive at 185, but aren't big enough to compete at 205, and that sucks. But you know, divisions are divisions, so we'll have to keep an eye out for that change coming through with the Rumble train rolling back. I think they said April is when they're planning to see him back in the octagon at heavyweight so i'm excited to see what he can do without having to cut any weight because if you saw him when he was out of competition completely during his brief air quote retirement when he was doing bouncer work for bare knuckle and when he was doing gat performance supplement promotions at one point he was doing powerlifting videos and said that he was walking around north of 300 pounds and the lack of a neck that he had then verified that to me so back down into like realistic 
big regions for Rumble himself at heavyweight, I still think is going to be a big problem for a lot of those boys. I think it's going to help his stamina quite a bit, too, because he's not yeah. draining himself, cutting so goddamn much. The one well, thing and, I think about go ahead. Sorry, uh, with uh, Rumble specifically at heavyweight is Stipe ran over dudes because of his speed. Yep. Rumble speed is right gonna, up there. Right. I mean, it's going to be faster. It has to be. And I'm, dude, when his punches connect, even if he doesn't sleep you with that one shot, it's like lightning almost. Like their their whole body, it changes their mentality. They're like, oh, he could have killed me. You know what yep. I mean? Type of situation. Yeah, absolutely. And uh oh, I think we lost him. Oh. Right. I think he's coming back. Looked like we froze for a little bit there. Is it? It sounded really interesting up until that point. Right. What happened? You froze right after you said. "Ah." Uh, Yeah, yeah. I'm just excited, dude. I'm excited. I think that there's gonna. Uh oh. I think he's gone robot on us. Yep. <laughs> yep. Done. Gone robot. Did it freeze? No, what? A, there we go. Now he's coming back. Man, I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Sorry. You're good, Anyways, man. You're good. Yeah, yeah. yeah Sorry, I, I remember when it used to be somebody else who used to do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're good, dude. Been there, done that. <laughs> right, for sure. I, I love it. I don't know what it is. Maybe I got to shut some of my Wi-Fi stuff off. I don't know. No, what I was saying is that one of the things particular that I think really interests me to see Rumble going into heavyweight is that the main threat from not only the guy that fucking got him, but for most, in my opinion, of the 205 division, the main threat for me, at least, towards Rumble was that jujitsu. It was that grappling where we saw that he was like a baby in a fucking pool just flailing and flopping and no fucking clue what he was actually doing there. And for what it's worth, that is an important part of the game. But on that same token, there are not a lot of heavyweights who are going to give you much of a jujitsu problem. If you get to the ground, it's generally some light grappling, some, you know, catch wrestling, and then a stand-up or ground and pound. There's not really a whole lot of legitimate BJJ problems in the heavyweight division. And that, for the most part, has been Rumble's real Achilles heel, is that he doesn't have the fucking jujitsu, he doesn't have the grappling, and that's how DC fucking worked him, which is still such a fucking disappointment to people. And I think... Going up to heavyweight, it really eliminates a lot of that problem. That, and no matter where he goes, DC is going to be gone by the time we get him back either way. So, you know, there's that monkey off his back, <laughs> metaphorically. Don't get at me, fucking internet. So what do you th- – so that means you're saying <laughs> – I mean, there's not even really a jiu-jitsu player that is in the heavyweight division right now. As, exactly. As or even exactly. a wrestler. I mean, Cain Velasquez is gone, base, right? I mean, yep. Like, Stipe, I think Stipe is a brown belt right now. Like, he's not terrible, but it's not his predominant fucking focus by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Uh, Um, He's a better wrestler right now than he is a jiu-jitsu practitioner. Uh, Jair Zinho is predominantly a catch wrestler, but I think he's also a brown belt as well. He does have some jiu-jitsu skills. But other than that, realistically, there's there's not a lot of jiu-jitsu threats at heavyweight. And with that being the the most prominent weakness in Rumble's armor, 
that looks real good for him coming in stacked as shit, ready to punch a fucking hole through people. I mean, he said the goal is uh, to to get to fight John Jones eventually. And yeah, at heavyweight, which I think yeah, would be I mean, fucking spectacular. Dude, John Jones's frame is already built for a heavyweight. He's yeah, and he's very talented. But uh, uh, yeah, you know, we'll see. He's one of the only champions that's been a champion for a long period of time uh, through this era. That makes sense. Right. I mean, outside right. of his troubles, right? Everyone, the, the belt has constantly changed pretty much every other division. Go ahead. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's about it, too. He's the only one who's been just consistent in what he's doing, even though he likes to fuck off during fights. Cause I've noticed right. that a lot lately. I mean, it's fuck offery. Do what you're good at. Stop trying to play somebody else's game. Just do your thing and fuck people up. Right. That's what well, we pay to watch. Well, that and the, the regrettable fact that a lot of people seem to be overlooking is that as many title defenses as he may have, you also have to recognize that, like we were saying, a lot of those title defenses have been against 185ers moving up. That also yeah. has to be taken with a grain of salt. Well, and that is what it is. A lot of those guys that did move up, they did work their way up, though, to get to that title shot through the 185 division. They weren't immediately granted it. Right. No, no, not at all. But what I'm saying is, by the same token that those guys worked their way up, they were also working their way up through a field that predominantly has been made up of guys that bumped up from 185 because they were too small to be 185ers. But again, they're still too small to be 205ers. A lot of the same problems that we've seen in uh, some recent moves. <laughs> but moving along from there, um, we actually, yesterday afternoon, early this morning, depending on which part of the world you are in, had another um, old school UFC-esque media press scuffle, uh, a kerfuffle, if you will, backstage that had to get all of the fucking authorities and the securities and the fucking referees and everybody involved in the WWE shenanigans over there involved at uh, Bell UFC Bellator, UFC Bellator, fucking words, Bellator London 2's upcoming card this weekend's presser this week. Um, ironically enough, two people who have no fucking business even getting in each other's face as far as I'm concerned, James Gallagher and Mike Kimball got into a little, you're a pussy, no, you're a pussy. Get out of my way. You're lucky there's no security guard. Third grade fucking recess fight. Uh, really, the sad part is that this took over more of the fucking press for Bellator's London card than that ridiculous face-off between MVP and the fucking nobody that they wrangled up for him to fight last minute. But it... It was one of those things that for as much of the dollar store Conor McGregor as he wants to keep trying to make himself beat, James Gallagher is in the headlines again. Yep. Well, <sighs> figuring out a way to make bank. That's one way to do it. Yeah, Get your name out there enough. Even bad press Connor is good shuffle. press when it comes to that. Yeah. Shoot for the moon, huh? Right. Yeah, yeah, no and you know, sometimes that kind of lip at the mouth makes people want to pay to watch you get your ass kicked. It, it does. It's why I'm watching this weekend's card. <laughs> saying, it's out there. It's just a matter of, uh, do I feel like really pissing these guys off enough to uh, get somebody to pay to watch me get my ass whipped? Right. If that's the case, go for it, dude. 
I'm not going to stop you. I might not um, completely agree with it, but you know, right? Look, there's look. We've said it before. I'll say it again. There's very few fighters out there that can say whatever the fuck they want and actually go in there and do their fucking jobs. Right. Very true. And, and there was at one point it was Connor. It is not Connor anymore. Connor's still going to say whatever the fuck he wants because well, he's fucking. Connor. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, that's just who the fuck he is. The newest one that everybody he seems to have forgotten about because he's kind of changed his mantra a little bit about the way he starts talking about people is Street Jesus. Well, Jorge Masvidal, he says whatever the fuck he wants now. Doesn't yeah. matter. Absolutely. And the problem is that a lot of the newer generation of people who are watching the fight game now, they didn't watch his early stuff. They didn't watch him come up through Pride with no hair, fucking clean, clean cut. cut. Yeah, that was a weird phase. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird phase, but he was doing the same shit, but he wasn't talking like he is now. That's changed a little bit. Yeah, and to be honest, for him, that's a fucking fantastic change. It's probably why he's made that whole transition into a lot scarier of a fighter, in my opinion. And I've been watching him for fucking years, like I said, all the way back to the Pride days. Yep, uh, he's definitely transitioned into a scarier fighter, and now he has that right to say whatever the fuck he wants because every time he goes out there, he's fucking feeding somebody a three piece and a soda or a whole goddamn buffet. Yep, doesn't matter. Absolutely, you're welcome for ending that dude. <laughs> exactly. That was the best ending I've ever seen to a fight ever, ever. Oh, I mean, yeah. when Justin Gaethje did the did this thing to James Vick after he slept him, that was that, just as good. That was good, yeah, but not quite. Fair. Yeah, that. Dude, he, he, he like banged on the on the canvas like a damn uh, WWE referee. Yep. One two three, yeah. son. Night night. Yeah, it was that was a beautiful moment. That's that's where we recruited our uh, or where we cemented rather our our show's very own casual. It was one of the first full on events that she got to watch like the full build up for, and then like rooting for the guy walk watches the whole thing, and then just it cemented it in, and it it was it was from then on she's she's hooked. <laughs> did you expect? What did you guys think? Did you expect the knee? For sure, I didn't. Expect I didn't necessarily the expect the knee, but it, I, it was one of the things that we specifically mentioned in that show that I said, with as predictable as Askren gets, it's only a matter of time when he shoots in. I didn't think it was going to be in the first three seconds, but I specifically had pointed out that Askren and a lot of those guys that are predictable when they always come in for that takedown, that knee way. is there. Yep, got him. He really. And, uh, I honestly, I pictured a very much like a Darren Till type of situation, like a, like you said, a three piece, and yep. he's out of there because. And then the lay down. Dude, he got eight by Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler yep. beat the dog shit out of him for the first until the fight ended, yeah. nearly until the fight ended. Remember when he threw him over his head? Like, yep. you're not that good of a wrestler if this dude's one arm in you, and then he gets right. kneed by George, the best, the best. I'm so goodbye. I'm so happy he's gone, dude. I hope <laughs> I hope something like this happens to Colby Covington. I don't want to get too deep into that right now, but for real, I, I'm not even a fan of Usman. I just that dude needs he needs some night night time. Oh, you're oh, yeah. really good company. Yeah, I was gonna say you're, you're in good company here. We've got a whole medieval plan worked out for the downfall of Colby Covington coming up here in the next <laughs> six months or so. If plans work out the way we're hoping, <laughs> <laughs> see you in Bellator, Colby. Right, yeah, no shit. Have fun crushing cans over and fucking rising with Gabby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but from there, we'll move on to a couple of other very, 
very interesting fight announcements that were just made this afternoon, the last of which was literally just made 20 minutes before this show started hot off the motherfucking presses here. The first one I'm going to give you guys is another interesting little little tidbit, little Jenga piece, as it were, that they are stacking into that January 25th UFC card. Sarah McMahon makes her return back to the octagon after a 17-month layoff, coming back to fight Lena the Elbow Queen Landsberg. They are talking as of right now, that may be the premier prelim fight for that card, depending on how it goes, where what it gets named. And so I feel I'll like- talk about Go ahead. why it uh, sorry. Uh, I'll talk about why it may change what it gets named in just a minute here. Uh, go ahead, Patrick. Uh, Sarah McMahon, um, UFC fighter, right? She was uh, yes, the last time I think I saw her fight was like the Ultimate Fighter finale or something. I yep. Yeah, she was on a prelim card. She had originally gone three and zero after her debut, and then lost her last two in a row. The last one she lost, and then took some time off after that and by some time i mean a year and change so she is getting back into the thick of it as it were and as we see quite often in the ufc there are no fucking tune-up fights if you want to get back into thick of it because lena landsberg is not called the elbow queen because she's shy about throwing them balls she will split you the fuck open with the quickness and this might be one of those fights where it could get very bloody very quickly here because McMahon's talking all kinds of shit about how she's hungry she's ready to be back but Lena Landsberg is a dangerous motherfucker as soon as you get her wound up and she says she is very ready for this fight it's you know a little more than a month and a half out it's gonna get interesting I think it's just enough time basically for both of them to get a good camp in and then shit's gonna hit the fan so that January 25th card is stacking up I don't what's the what's the headline on that card uh, it's still unconfirmed. And that's what I was leading into this one here. Um, the reason that that headline is still unconfirmed is because they have just announced this evening that on February 8th, Valentina the Bullet Shevchenko will defend her women's 125-pound belt against the what we exactly predicted, Caitlin Chukagian, is getting her shot. Now, the the catch here, the caveat, as it were, to that note, is that they have not officially named the February 8th card because they cannot name the February 8th card until we get confirmation on what the January 18th card is going to be. As of right now, January 18th will be UFC Fight Night Houston, perspectively, and February 8th will be UFC 246. Now, the caveat to that is if the Conor McGregor versus Cowboy Cerrone paperwork gets finalized in time, it will become the main event for January 18th, and January 18th will go from being a fight night to UFC 246, which will then make this February 8th card UFC 247. So it's a little bit of a, of a circle jerk here, but 
one way or another, we're going to get some completion in some sense of the word here. We, we have been saying for a minute now that it looks like they're grooming Chukagian to be the next lamb to slaughter for Valentina. And the Connor Cowboy fight has really just almost been unavoidable at this point. The way that that 155 division is shaken out, there's not a whole lot of options for either one of those gentlemen to go. The, the reality is that we either got a Cowboy versus Connor fight coming up real soon or Connor has basically let slip the last little grip of his star power in the UFC, and we would have subsequently got a Cowboy versus Tony rematch, fingers crossed, because they're still, as much as they're talking about it, not doing anything towards actually booking Tony versus Khabib, even though we all fucking know that's the fight that four times in a row was supposed to be and realistically should still be made at some point. Good God, yes. That fight needs to be made, like, fucking yesterday. I don't care if you book it six months down the road. Just have the fucking thing booked already. It, it should have been booked within two months after fucking watching um, Toya lose to fucking Khabib. That should have been an immediate. Like, yeah. within two months after that Dubai card, that fight should have been booked. Tony and Khabib? Yeah. It, it didn't have to happen right away. Give those guys six months. Fuck it. As long I mean, as it's booked. And, and uh, Cerrone, that should have been on the same card. Should have been the same card. Yeah, Connor, Cerrone, uh, Khabib, and uh, Ferguson. And Dustin. Yep. Nailed it. Just out of the park. You know, they oh, were yeah, because then if either one of those two cocksuckers pulls out of the main card, you got a backup to Backup on hand. You got yep. it. Yep. Well, and the extra problem this creates now is that with them still not having made Tony versus Khabib again, even though we all fucking know that that's the next one that it progressively makes sense to make for as fucking aggravating as it is. If Connor beats the shit out of Cowboy in a spectacular Connor McGregor-esque fashion, if he mystic max Cowboy some fucking how, because I don't see it happening, but if he all those Cowboy somehow and Conor McGregor is back to Conor McGregor with the whole fucking glitz and glamour again. We all know exactly what he's going to fucking say the second they put that fucking microphone in front of him. And at that point, now he's got the star power away from Tony again. And we look at the fucking rematch versus the fucking Tony versus Khabib that we should right. be fucking mm -hmm. seeing before anything else goes on. Exactly. But have we not noticed the trend when it comes to them scheduling fights where they've, they've fucking leapfrogged so many of the yep. fights that sh are the money fight and the fights they want to sell the that, that will sell pay-per-views. They leapfrog them like Volkanovsky. It took so long for him to get in there to fight Max Holloway and he's been terrorizing the division. But here's the thing too. What about this? And I know this is, this is where, I, this is why I say that they could leapfrog people because Justin Gaethje is terrifying. You know who else is terrifying? Tony fucking Ferguson. That fight, you guys, I mean, if they don't make these, if they don't get Khabib and Tony in there together, then it right. has to be Gaethje and Ferguson because what has Tony done his last three fights? He's, yeah. ended, it, he's ended it by a cut. That's, a, that's like George versus Nate when a Jorge yeah. beat Nate. He didn't just, oh, oh, you can't sit here and say that he didn't win the fight because it, it got stopped by a doctor. The doctor right. said, hey, man, you got the shit kicked out of you. It's done anymore and you're losing a huge chunk of your eye and you won't fight again right so you got beat still anthony pettis got beat by ferguson devastatingly you see what i'm saying he beat yep. he's he's hurting these guys he's not finishing you he's not coming in there to finish he wants to hurt you all the rounds all the minutes all you know what i'm saying and yeah. gaichi gaichi i don't what is that 
what is he? I don't know what that is. He's a robot. I've never seen anything <laughs> like this, dude. And he came from the PFL organization before it was PFL. Yep. So yeah, it when it was cool. World Series. Okay, so what is Bellator then? Bellator is at the NBA D League of MMA fighters, whereas the UFC is the NBA. So then what is the PFL and everything before that? Because you can still find gold like Justin Gaethje in these organizations. Right. The, kind of, I would think of it more like the WNBA. Okay. Well, I like I look it. at it like this. It's, a, it's, the, the yeah. mis, it's the missed draft opportunities that go and play European League. But uh, then some see, of them do come up and do really well, like Amanu Ginobili. Right. Well, see, that's why I look at it as the, it's more like the WNBA to this situation here because they're still playing the same game. They're just using slightly different rules. And every now and again, you still find a star in there. But for the most part, it's just not interesting enough for the average fan to watch. Facts are the facts. But moving along from there, the last fight announcement I do want to mention here um, will be prospectively the co-main event to the Valentina versus Chukagian headline or vice versa, depending on if they play that bullshit, the card gets stacked out by weight. Um, realistically, Valentina's title defense should be the main event, and this should be the co-main event, I believe, here. Derek the Black Beast Lewis will be welcoming to the heavyweight division Ayer Latifi on that February 8th card, whether it's 246 or 247, however they end up naming it, um, for the Comain to Valentina's, prospectively, title bout, we will be getting Derek the Black Beast wel welcoming Ayer Latifi to heavyweight. There's no way that they can make that the fucking headline fight. There's no way. I, I hope not, but Data has been fairly consistent in complaining that they stack cards by weight so the heaviest weight is the that's one fight. that's one of those things where i have to tell dana go get fucked yeah because you know what when you have a title fight that's online that trumps everything else below it that fight you're bringing up a guy that is way too small for fucking heavyweight to yes. fight a fucking known killer in Derek lewis even a last minute killer at that Right. It doesn't matter if he's down fucking in the fucking fourth, fifth round with one second to go. Right. There's a chance ask, you're going fucking night night. Ask Volkov how that works when you think you got the fight sealed at the very fucking end and then out of nowhere you get your clock fucking clean. Yeah, exactly. And you're bringing up Latifi? Yeah. Fight him? Why are you feeding that dude to the wolves? Well, I have a feeling. not a bad fighter, but you're immediately throwing him into the deep end of the fucking pool. I have a feeling this is their – it's probably either his last or next-to-last fight on his contract. They've been looking for a reason to get rid of him because he keeps getting injured or being just fucking met at best. And I think at this point they're like, look, dude, you want to fucking stay, fucking prove it. And you're clearly not proving it against anybody at fucking 205. So eat your goddamn Wheaties, do some extra fucking sit-ups, pack an extra 15 on, and come fight the fucking big boys, or we're just going to send you down to fucking Bellator without thinking about it. So – and Black Beast clearly was not fucking worried about this fight. Say, just put the dump truck in front of my house, dump right, the money there. Back it up, put the money in the pile where you left that fucking DC money. We'll get this going. Oh, man, that DC money has got to be all... I mean, he's got a whole other house for that. He bought a fucking Lamb or a McLaren. <laughs> he bought a fucking McLaren that he runs to SEMA shows and shit with now. Yeah, that DC so, money did him real good. <laughs> right, right. So you see, though, the, the fact that 
the desperation with the heavyweight division is so extreme that they have to bring up guys like Elar Latifi. And here's the thing, though. Wasn't wasn't he kind of a contender? Wasn't he up there? Didn't he fight Anthony Smith? No, he fought. Who did he fight last? I forget. No, he, he, fought, uh... he fought some big names. I know that. And he did okay there for a little while. For a little while. Yeah, like, yeah I think the last like time he – I just he... barely heard about him and then gone. Like, Well, yeah, that's because it was injury. Yeah. Get fucked up. Another injury. It, it was just a shit show. And so well, this is probably the camp. last straw for them. And, yeah, that's I what I'm saying. It. And then he changed camps in the middle of all that on top of everything, and that pushed yeah. it all back out even further. So and I think not. this is the UFC giving him that one last fucking chance. Yep. Like, do something to impress us, or we're going to go let you crush cans with your friends. And it's not like he went to a better camp either. No, he really didn't do himself any fucking I mean, favors. We, we saw what happens last week when you go to a better camp. And yeah. your your game changes, but no, he, he didn't. He, he's still the same old fucking dude. Yep. No, it was – I mean, obviously we're going to have to wait and see because, as we say all the time, MMA math is never a certain thing. But in this situation, sometimes you can read the tea leaves to a certain degree, and these are all pointing towards Bellator. I think what those are called, I think that's called walking papers that he's getting paid with. Right. To be quite honest, even if he wins that fight, I think they would still give him walking papers. Yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. Unless he does something absolutely spectacular, like unless he Jorge Masvidal's Derek Lewis, I can (laughs) see I hear getting kept after this fight, even on a win. Because realistically, with those two, it's not going to be a fucking judge's decision. I don't yeah. I don't see any way that fight goes three rounds. There's no way. I got a better chance of not being a father anymore than fucking I have a better chance of my son regressing from four years old back to a sperm in my nutsack <laughs> than he does of winning that fight. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I think that'd be that shit ain't happening, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys still talking about Latifi, right? Unfortunately, yeah. Okay, so I just want to throw this in there because I'm probably – I imagine you guys have already talked about it. Corey Anderson, Johnny Walker. I'm sure you probably like me. He was like, well, Corey Anderson's a fucking workhorse, but this Johnny Walker is special. And then this fight happens, and you're like, "Uh, what now? Because much like a, a Latifi, I could see a Johnny Walker going up to heavyweight. As, as as bad as it's going to be for him, just the same, right. I could see it. Because they're looking for somebody for John Jones. That's it. They want somebody to come in and beat John Jones. And if you lose, your opportunity's gone. It's that quick. You're right. in and out. Well, it's because John pretty much still has pick of the litter. That's the problem. It's I choose what I want. In fact, um, was a, John said after the, that last split decision over Jacare that he wanted John. John shut that shit down immediately. He's like, no, you're not ready. So they're not going to give it to him because John is still running the show. I don't know if it's because he's been slipping extra eight balls to Dana for free or whatever the case may be, but um, he's still running. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He's not sending eight balls. That's too much because that'll show up in the system and he won't be the Pico Graham King anymore. So That's right. That's right. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's that division unless you are going to – legitimately go in there and wreck the fuck out of John, you don't have a lot of opportunities right now in 205. 205 is kind of a just, it's kind of a, it's a fucking dead duck right now. 
yep. it's kind of a graveyard at the moment, really. So, so what do you think it is? Anderson and Jones next or what? I I don't agree with it, but for what it looks like it's going to be, it's. I think it's going to be Reyes versus Jones next, and then probably Blahovich versus Anderson for next runner-up. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be Reyes as well, because John already said, yeah, let's run out with Reyes. This is the best the division has got right now. What do you Which think means about? it's the one that he thinks he's got the best chance against. Right. Oh, yeah, because he's calculated in the way he fights and takes fights. And that's part of the reason why he stayed as top as long as he has. Yeah. You can't blame the guy for being fucking smart in the decisions you're making to stay on top, especially if it's paying the bills and keeping you out of prison for hitting ladies while you're fucked up on drugs. Right. Right. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think Reyes has a puncher's chance, really, Just because he's not that well-rounded of a fighter. He doesn't have a great ground game. He doesn't have jujitsu to speak of. His Takedown defense is mediocre, but nothing bragworthy. But then again, John's not really always looking to take you down, as we clearly saw in the fucking Santos fight. Even when he had literally the fucking door open to win the match in the second fucking round with a single takedown and grounded pound, that fight would have been over. In my opinion, that John Jones versus Santos fight was realistically akin to that Mike Jackson versus fucking CM Punk fight. Mm -hmm. That was a situation where... For no reason whatsoever, that fight went five goddamn rounds. When in the beginning of the second round, when you saw Santos's leg was fucked, one easily shot takedown from Jones would have put Santos on his ass, off his fucking guard. John could have laid a ground and pound work in, and that fight would have been fucking stopped and over the way that it should have been. But right. he tried to play the fucking game the same way that Mike Bitch-Ass Jackson played with CM fucking Brooks Punk whatever the yeah. fuck you want to call him. And he danced to try and make himself look good. In the end, he ended up looking like an asshole. And the vast majority of people who watched that fight thought for what it's worth, Santos could have got a fucking draw off that. On just the stand-up game alone, completely, you know, disregarding the fact that Santos's leg, what's up, balloon? Mm-hmm. That stand-up game was fucking neck and neck all the way along the line. So I, I think John's trying to play it towards his advantages because if he wanted to just be dominant that fight would have been two fucking rounds i think oh, yeah. he's looking at reyes as it's going to be a real similar situation he doesn't have to worry about a lot of takedown he doesn't have to worry about a lot of grappling he basically just has to worry about another striker and much as i don't fucking like john jones as a person he's a great fucking striker in the octagon so i think he's really hedging his bets with reyes but how come over the entirety of the existence of john jones he's never been uh conor mcgregor level famous even in his negative shit is it because he's that boring that he's res- he's actually resorting to shit like anderson silva did when he was running the title biggest thing of that is he wasn't calling things the same way conor was conor was running his fucking mouth but when he was saying stuff he was actually making it happen which was really strange. Like he said, he's going to knock this person out in whatever round, yeah. and he did it. And it, it the, he, Jones wasn't doing that. And Jones has always been, he's never been a, the only time you've ever seen the dog in him, the him and DC fucking that shit. Other than that, you've never seen that. Connor, that was every goddamn fight. Fuck you. I'm going to dig up shit about your grandma, right. your grandma's fucking aunt and uncle. 
and you shared pictures of Jose and, 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 gonna, and shit. Yeah. Yeah. John was never that person, unfortunately. Shit like that sells, especially when you're running your mouth and then you're going out and doing what you're saying you're doing. Right. That's where that actually made him explode more than Jones. The problem with Jones is he didn't do that and he was ruining people before he before he made his stupid life choices. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm always the one give somebody a second chance. Fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. No. Dude's in a phenomenal fighter as a person. He's so goddamn full of shit. It's ridiculous. Yep. He needs well, fighting, is what it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's mad because uh, he couldn't make it to the NFL, but his brother could. So right. he needs something to show that he's just as worthy he's as He's got to be no. just as good, yeah. But uh, here's the problem your brother's kept his fucking nose clean while he was in the goddamn NFL. You have not, as a professional, on the highest level of the sport. Right. What the fuck? No, this is... I always say this. You look at people that don't come from money. They tend to do a lot of stupid shit when they get money. Even if they've earned it. Right. Especially when they're in the spotlight. You look at their families as a whole, prior to his brother getting in the NFL and then him become a fighter, they weren't super rich folks they were middle class just like the rest of us they just so happen to be very fucking gifted athletes yep. and it's yeah, worked out really well for them problem here is jones made way more money than his brothers made mm-hmm. and so he had he had that whole god complex of i've got enough it doesn't matter i can pay everything off so he did stupid shit and he got caught yep and it, Look, you want to do blow on your fucking time off out of fight camp? Do blow. Don't fucking drive a car on blow. Right. I don't give a shit what you do outside of your career. You can go catch herpes for all I give a fuck. But don't do that shit during fucking fight camps or if you're going to do something fucking bad like that, keep your fucking dumb ass home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And so all of that, when that happened... That whole star power that he had already built up pretty high was still not to the level of Conor McGregor. But once you hit that first wall, that nixes everything you've done to that point. Yep. Even with even with people like myself, I was fucking disappointed. Because at the point before that happened, I was like, dude, that's, that's the fucking face of MMA right now. Because that was before Conor had really fucking taken off. And he fucked it. He completely fucking missed it. Like, he kicked that field goal wide fucking right. He dunked it off the uprights. He probably played for the Bears at one point in his dreams. <laughs> it was a fucking ugly thing to watch, and that's where he blew up, whereas Connor, yeah, he did stupid shit, but he was already fucking mega power star at that point. And so all that did was that added to the whole mythic thing, the whole fucking throwing the dolly through the fucking window of a bus like a dumb fuck. <laughs> We knew, look, you look at where he's from originally. That kind of shit is normal where he was from in his specific district. Right. They did stupid shit, a lot of gang activity, things like that. He was a street rat. I mean, the dude was working as a fucking plumber 
before he became a fucking fighter. Yeah, literally six months before he did his first fucking boxing match, he was a fucking plumber's assistant. Wait, yeah. Wait, we're getting the stories combined for me. Is it John Jones was the plumber or Connor? Connor. No, Connor was a plumber before he fucking ever became a fighter. That's yeah, six months before. I... He, yeah, six months before Connor's first boxing match that started his whole MMA career, he was literally a plumber's assistant in Ireland. Wow. Yeah, living out of his fucking mother's house with his girlfriend. Yep. Yeah, it was. It, no, it wasn't even a house. It was a fucking like a flat or something. Yeah, the, the flat. Yeah, they shared a flat. Yeah, like a little small fucking two bedroom fucking flat. Wow. And you look at that, and so yeah, he grew up in some really bad neighborhoods. You expect him to do some really stupid shit. A lot of people that do that, fortunately, it comes with the territory. Look, you can take somebody out the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out the person. That's just how that works. doesn't matter who you are. He was that kind of person. Luckily, his star had blown up way out of proportion already. So right. when that shit had happened, it didn't really hurt him that much. The news took to it great because everybody knew right. who the fuck he is. So, yes, it was plastered all over every fucking front page, but it it didn't hurt him, his star power at all. To be honest, all that did was that intensified that. Right. It magnified it. Yeah. So then he got that shot. He got the boxing match. He got the fucking, he finally got his fight to go and get choked out because he likes to tap. Right. But it was just a point of, they were, I think the difference there was where those fuck ups occurred in their careers. And that's I think that's the biggest thing is Jones was on that verge of his shit completely being exploded where Connors was supernova by the time he fucked up. That's the only difference there really is in between those two that I know is they weren't quite at the same level of star power when they made their fuck ups. Right. I can see that as as well. I, I think a little bit for me is more the fact that Jones has been inconsistent. Whereas from day one in the fucking Dennis Seaver walkout, you knew Conor McGregor was here to talk shit and fuck up left and right. But he didn't care because the shit that he talked, he would get in the octagon and back up. So when he was cooked out and he hopped on a plane and threw a dolly through a bus window, it, as bad as it was, you still thought that's a Conor McGregor move, as, as strange as that is to say. Whereas... John Jones runs his car into a fucking pregnant lady and flees the scene. And everybody's like, what the fuck just happened? And then he makes the apology and he says he's going back to church and he's a godly man. And then he pisses hot and he gets in all this bullshit with DC. And now he's a badass and he's talking tough and he's trying to be the Conor McGregor after he just played the, I'm so sorry. I'm going to go back and be the perfect Christian. This isn't who I am. I'm a good boy. And you can't have it both ways. You're, you're one or the other or you're moving from one to the other, you can't teeter-totter in the bad boy scale. That's exactly right. He's got a tumultuous relationship with himself. Yeah, exactly. He can't figure out who he wants to be. Does he want to be the nice guy, or does he want to be the fucking devil in this situation? Yep. Fucking pick one and stick with it. At least if you pick one and stick with it, you're going to get a lot more fucking respect out of people that way. Exactly. And that's why I said for as, as fucked up of a thing as it is to say when he was, when Conor McGregor was clearly coked the fuck out of his gourd, hopped on a private plane with eight of his Irish goon buddies, flew to fucking uh, Vegas and threw a fucking dolly through a bus window as horrible as a thing that was, it wasn't far fetched for you to imagine that being something that Conor McGregor would do. 
Whereas with almost everything John has done, it immediately is followed by an apology and the, I'm going to go back to being a godly man and, you know, I'm the good guy until you put him in front of DC. And then you see he wants to try and flip that Conor McGregor switch and he wants to get under your skin. Well, he wants to be Billy Badass, but you were just singing church hymns on your fucking Instagram two days ago. You can't tell me now that you're a blow-doing hooker well, fucking badass. It, it doesn't work well, like that. Here, there, there's, only, there's only one little fucking gray area in there. Look, you can be a church-going man and still hate somebody's fucking guts. So you can talk shit to DC all you want. That part I'm perfectly all right with. It's the rest of the shit where it gets wishy-washy with him. Right. But the DC thing, that's been going on long before he decided to run into bitches with fucking coked out car and flee the scene. That was from the first time, apparently, when they said, oh, I bet I could take you down, and that pissed DC off. Right, yeah, Mr. Wrestler, yeah. And he proved it. At that point, that should have fucking been the end of it. Right, Absolutely. But either way, that one, I, I, I can give him leeway when it comes to the whole talking shit against DC. Everybody else, though, dude, just mind your fucking P's and Q's. Be your church-going self. Right. Keep so your ass on in Instagram. A, yeah. Look, keep your ass in a permanent state of rehab because you know what? You obviously can't keep your shit together long enough because we keep seeing you having to fucking apologize. Look, either stop apologizing or stop doing dumb shit. Right. That's all there is to it. There's no, there's nothing hard about that. How hard is it to just do your little fucking rail at home, do your bump off of your fucking wife or um, fucking whoever, hookers yeah. ass crack, whatever, <laughs> enjoy it, but stay the fuck home. Yeah, keep yourself then out don't of apologize. fucking headlines. Yeah. Well, don't apologize because if you're at home, nobody's going to fuck with you. Right. But isn't the whole uh, no? I don't, oh, isn't the, this is what I think is the issue with uh with fighters is they have an issue with dealing with the idea that they are professional athletes in a lot of ways because some of these guys, like you said, Connor was a plumber before yep. he became a fighter, so therefore he's just a dude who happens to be good at putting his hands on other dudes. So that right. trans because some of these guys, what about NFL players? People that end up in the NFL, they've been. Oh. We lost sound. Your mic cut, Patrick. <laughs> of course. You know what? I, I will not deny you guys. Every time I've ever done anything like this where it's uh, online, for some reason I always get cut off. My internet always wants to shut me off when I start talking like I'm on a soapbox. It's annoying. But, I understand. Uh, well, where did I, where did I stop off there? You, uh, as soon as you got out, as soon as you your arms went out the first time, you're my cut. <laughs> okay, so basically what I'm saying is just like you get you can be trained to be a football player your entire life, and nowadays it seems a lot more difficult. I mean, it, easier I should say for children to start training or kids to start training in MMA to where by the time they get in their 20s and 30s and become professionals, they've been doing it their entire lives. Right. Rather absolutely. Than being a new person like Connor, oh, I'm 19, 20. Well, here's this boxing gym that opened up over here. Now I can become a professional, but being a professional athlete is a huge responsibility. Yes. Children well, and, uh, to that point you're making, we got to think MMA is still in its infancy. As far as um, professional sports go, look, yes, we know pancreation goes all the way back to the fucking early Olympics. Right. We get that. But right. as far as mixed martial arts inside of a cage, people paying to see it, 
it's still in its infancy because it didn't come around until the fucking 90s. So you figure it's not even, we're 25 years right now with the UFC. That is an infancy in terms of sports. Look how wrong the fucking NFL has been around four times as long, 100 years. As far as this concerned, it's still in its infancy state. Are you kidding me? My fucking team waited more than 100 years to win a fucking World Series. We're four UFC lifetimes in the waiting just to win our fucking World Series. Yeah. UFC's still a baby as far as sports go. Yeah, you're just lucky you're alive when that happened because it might be another 100. <laughs> no shit, man. No <laughs> shit. I was there for that fucking moment, so. It's all right. I'll probably never see my win. So that's all right. Sorry. At least I've got to see a couple Super Bowl movies. I can't complain about that. No, I, I, I think the only thing that I would be able to add to that would be that in, in this situation, I, I would reference words. I would reference something that Mike Tyson himself actually said on his podcast, Hotboxing, which for the for those who are not aware, Mike Tyson does a podcast where he sits down with his co-host and smokes joint after joint and has meaningful conversations about the life of his guests. And it's called hot boxing. It's fucking spectacular. But on one of them, he was talking very intimately about his early years when he literally was just a teenager and he first got picked up and got trained by some of the greatest boxing coaches in the world. But the problem was all they saw him for was his talent. They saw him as a hammer they could use to nail down an industry, which was boxing. And the problem was they trained him how to be a killer. They trained him to be the best technical boxer that, you know, possibly there ever was one of the strongest, most raw power boxers that ever graced the squared circle. But the problem was in training him to be a killer, to be the best. They never trained him how to turn that switch off and go back to being a human being. And that's part of what, he talks so openly about why he doesn't even work out anymore, why he doesn't train anymore, because it took yep. him his entire career and then subsequent fallout to learn that he was only shown how to kill, how to beat, how to maim. He was never taught how to move away from that and how to be a human being aside from the sport. And I think we're seeing a lot of that with the Conor McGregor's and with the John Joneses. We see guys that get, you know, fuddled into this machine of being the best, of being the baddest, being the most elite warrior, but nobody teaches these guys how to turn that switch off and put your phone down and ignore your Instagram and go spend time with your family and not have anything to do with that world so that you stay a balanced human being. I, I, to, to that, you know, I want to add to that. I compare it to like being a NASCAR driver and then driving a regular car being able to get in a regular yeah, car. And exactly. If you can do that, if they can separate that, you're going to have, you know, huge athletes that are Connor, Connor McGregor uh, famous, but also not doing stupid shit like Connor or John. And they can be more marketable than a Daniel Cormier, because to me, he's, he's too clean cut for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, for a fighter, dude, nah, I'm good. Do what you do. Win. Well, you know, <laughs> right. Fuck that guy. Yeah, that's what I mean. Hey, wait, let me just say this too. As far as commentators go, Dominic Cruz is by far the most boring motherfucker I have ever heard commentate anything. He's so monotone, dude. I just want to leave. I want to be like, well, this is fighting, and I feel like I'm reading. 
and I always thought it was DC for me. I really can't stand the way that guy commentates. And the worst part is they gave him his own fucking show. Terrible. Terrible yeah. idea. Like, what can you do, though? I refute, like, there's things on there that I want to watch about it, but because he's the one commentating and hosting, no, not watching it. I refuse to. I want to watch things about certain fighters, but not when he's involved. Right. I don't want anything to do with him. To be honest, I'm glad that this last fucking Milch's fight is going to be his last fight. And then hopefully he can do the one thing that I know he's fucking brilliant at. This is the only good thing I ever say about him. He's a fantastic fucking coach. Go coach that. fighters. Yeah. You're a fantastic more. coach. We should you see watch more. what he does with little kids even mm-hmm. in wrestling. Go teach them. You're fantastic at that stuff. Yep. Stop commentating. We don't want to listen to your fucking voice. Yes, and they need that. There's so many fighters out here in all organizations that need the experience of somebody who has been in there, somebody who's been in the cage. Like I, I'm so sick of seeing these referees, and you're like, I've never heard of this guy ever. Who is this? How does he know the fight game if he's never fought? It's just so bothersome to me. But at the same time, you can learn. You can go to school. They do offer that now. But at the same time, just like commentating, I'm like, why Why is this guy who I've never heard of, especially when Mike Goldberg first left and they're bringing in all these other dudes, Jimmy Smith, Brennan Fitzgerald, I'm like, hey guys, who are you? I want, And then Jimmy Smith is a shit fighter, but nonetheless, commentating is key when you know what you're talking about. And somebody like Joe Rogan, who he's in, he he has to have an excuse for why he didn't become a fighter. His excuse is simply that it came, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't, the UFC wasn't in existence or as popular. And that's bull. That's, there, he actually had a podcast where he was talking about that. He about actually, he, yeah, about how he decided to stop fighting. Because it came down to a point where he was really hurting people during these karate tournaments that he was in. And he realized, he's like, that shit could be me. I have other things and aspirations I want to do with my life. Right. So I'm going to stop now while I'm still ahead. Mm-hmm. That dude still fucking trains. He yeah. knows his shit. He does jujitsu. He has some of the gnarliest fucking kicks you'll ever see. And he's a fucking commentator. Isn't he the only exception though? When you think about it, like what's the other guy's name? John Anik. I mean, I think he trains, but we've never like Joe Rogan for me is the one exception of a guy who is not a fighter who still has the best commentating skills. Dominic Cruz is a fighter. He's still a UFC fighter, and he's trash. You know what? The best – when it comes to the best fighter commentator, Paul Felder. You think? You think? I really do. Uh, what about Bisbing? Bisbing is all – Bisbing, he's okay, but I would much rather listen to Felder than Bisbing. Bisbing has kept an incorrect stats lately too. Almost everything that he – almost every card that he's commentated for – in the last couple months, the predominant portion of his fucking mouth running during fights has either been talking about how a person generally doesn't do something and then you see him do it, or how a person isn't known for a thing and then they do that fucking thing. Yeah. Like, he he seems to really just want to be a stat guy without understanding the fighters he's commentating on a lot of the times. Brendan Schaub? What? Yeah, basically. Oh, my God. One-eyed yeah. Brendan Schaub? Yeah. So, okay, let me just ask, let me just throw this in there real quick. I don't want to take too much time on this, but who would you guys like to see that is retired or going to be retired start commentating or doing something? Because Chael Sonnen, doesn't he work for Bellator and the mm-hmm. UFC and ESPN? Like, what the? And he has a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, he's, he's doing it. But who else do you think could even be like that that's in the UFC or, or going to be retiring? 
think Connor? right now, I don't know that there's enough of them that are well-spoken enough for me that I would enjoy it as much. I, to be honest, I miss having Brian Stan. Right. Brian Stan yeah. was fucking fantastic after yeah. he left. What happened? But then he decided, hey, he, I'm going to do done. the family thing. And, I, you know, I'm not mad at him for that. He was military for so many years. Mm-hmm. And then he fought for so many years. Yeah, he was right. constantly away from his family for most of his adult life. So more I power to that. I will say this, and we actually talked about it a little bit uh, while we were watching the fights uh, a couple weeks back. Uh, I'm very happy that the UFC has been giving Anthony Smith a chance, even though they're not giving it as much publicity as I feel it's due. They're putting Anthony Smith up in the, uh, I, I guess it's the, the post-fight desk, where they usually have Megan O'Levy and uh, Tyquil hanging out, talking about the events, the like a mini breakdown almost. And they, for a couple times, had Gilbert Melendez up there, which I feel is a bad move because that dude's walking CTE to begin with. But they've been getting Anthony Smith up there for a lot of these cars lately. And dude shows up in a fucking three-piece suit, like a goddamn professional. He's got a great fight IQ. He can legitimately see and, you know, articulately break down the things that happen in the event. And I like that. I wish they would give him a chance, maybe sit down there, maybe him and Felder for fucking a fight night card and let them just fucking commentate it. I think that's got great potential. They got to get oh. Dominic Cruz out. That's all I, that's all I care about. He's, I yeah. He's getting a little weird. He's boring, dude. He's so boring. Just says it, words. Even yeah. If it's trying to be funny. He just says it like he's reading yeah. it off. Like he's reading. Yeah, he's, almost so, like, he's like a small Brendan Fitzgerald at this point. He's been doing a lot of talking over the other fucking commentators. I've noticed lately too, which yes. I'm like, dude, shut the fuck fuck up man let them finish a statement before you go and hop in it's not a fucking podcast where something pops into your head and you're afraid you're gonna lose it you're watching a fight fucking live you can talk about with a truck to back you up for replays yeah Mm -hmm. i think the only other one that i'm i like when they do the fucking european cards and watch hardy oh man yeah hardy's the man hardy knows his shit hardy and john gruden as much as i didn't like gruden is yeah, it's good. Are you good, talking about good, the NFL? Good, coach? Not good, good, not good. <laughs> okay. That would be an interesting matchup. Put them together, have them right. No, Gruden's like, I don't know. Right, no, good, good, and Hardy, especially like the road <laughs> to the octagons the they post. do. <laughs> yeah, no, the road to the road to the octagon videos that they do are fucking spectacular, and and I like when they have those guys commentate the European cards as well. Dan was the man, man. Uh, Dan was the man, man, right there. But when it was 170, when 170 was George St. Pierre's division, Dan Hardy was one of the scariest. In his prime, yeah, that red mohawk dude. Dan Hardy versus Mike Perry on the comeback. What? Yeah, no shit, right? Wow. (laughs) But yeah, uh, I would hate to see that. The other thing is too is the commentating has has become so uh, watered down because there's so many of them now. In the beginning, you could count on Joe Rogan, Mike Goldberg, and then what? Was the was there a third guy even? It was just them two, right? All, it was Anik. Anik was the, the odd man out usually. Okay, now they... And then they started throwing Stan in there once Stan got towards the end of his career. And yeah. then now they just fucking, here, let's dump everybody into this shit. Yeah, then it went to shitstorm real quick. Yeah. I think the worst part of it is because when Joe Rogan decided he wanted to redo his contract, said, I'm only going to do stuff stateside Re- now. Yeah, renegotiated. Only pay-per-views, only stateside. No more abroad, no more fight nights. Yeah, Yeah, he was getting fucking run ragged. Between that, his podcast, his stand-up career. And his the family. Dude had his family. Dude's a fucking active hunter. 
Yeah. He's got so many goddamn irons in the fire. It's no wonder he would rework it for himself. And I can't blame him for it. Although I do miss having him on every fucking card. Because Fuck he's yeah. the one that legitimately talks the, the whole time. Yeah. And the best part is, is a lot of times he would break it down to fucking layman's terms. So the casual yeah. people who are just yeah. starting to get into it would really watching. understand on how it's working and why it's working. For some of these other guys, oh, it's a Darth. Somebody's going, what the fuck is a Darth joke? Right. How does it, or what's the difference between that and a fucking guillotine? They don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, how, what does he mean, ten finger grip? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What's well, an extra? To that point is is actually part of the reason why I think I lured the the clown puncher into fucking bare knuckle so easily is because when I first started showing him the bare knuckle events, we've got Pat fucking Militich doing the fucking color commentating, sitting ringside. He can see when guys are moving. He can see when they're shifting, when they're going to set shit up. And bare knuckle is not really as much as it is in the title boxing. It really is just the title of boxing because for all intents and purposes, it's MMA striking with no takedowns and no gloves. But Militich is so fucking articulate and so intelligent. He's got such a great IQ that in the moment he can see guys setting shit up and you hear him call, watch, he's going to drop his left and then, and bing, here it fucking comes. I think good commenting is important like that. And I think unless the UFC really starts to pay attention, they're going to get themselves in trouble here because Rogan's already said he's not doing this forever. We've already got a watered down Rogan situation in there now. So I don't know. Bummer. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really fucking is. That's hoping they and why they let Goldberg go, I'll never know, because those two worked fucking fantastically together. The only thing I will say that came out good from Goldberg getting let go from the UFC is Goldberg and Big John do make a great fucking pair of commentators yeah. for Bellator. As much yeah. as I miss, on the same note, as much as I miss seeing Big John refereeing important fucking matches, knowing we're going to get the correct outcome, Herb, Dean, yeah, Mario, you know, we knew if Big John was in there, you're going to get the right call 99.9% .9 of the time. And that 0.1% that it wasn't, you can understand how it happened. Not like what we've been getting a lot of lately. Is he going to um, commentate the MVP fight? <laughs> I, I think so. As, as far as I know, he is. Unless they've gotten someone else in there, unless they brought Robin Black in. Mario Renault or whatever. Mario, one guy from Pride. Yeah. I always liked him. I liked him in Pride. That's probably because it was the first one. The first right. one. Right. He got into it. And now, yeah, oh, he was fucking he was psyched. Yeah. I, I was... Uh, one that, she, that doesn't commentate anymore, or well, not one that I I see regularly. Loved fucking Boss Root and commentating. Oh yeah, he's doing combat karate now. Uh yeah, that's right. Because he's I, partial. He's he's like oh I I take that back. I don't know that he's part owner. He said he's involved in the management of combat karate, and he also does the cage side commentary. Uh, pit side commentary i should say because they don't have a cage they fight literally in a inverted fucking invert sided pit so that's, blood sport yeah exactly it's very it's very blood sporty it's and to their credit combat karate is not terrible it's you know it's pretty entertaining for the more hardcore fucking mma fans like some of us like i enjoy the shit out of a fucking spinning 360 kick when you literally see the dude fall backwards onto a wall it's it's some old school van damme movie type shit but 
for the the vast majority of the uninitiated casuals who aren't going to go out of their way to look for combat karate because it's not that fucking advertised they're never going to fucking know that boss is even still in it really right it's just like, like a lot of these people in general that just don't even have any idea that Israel Adesanya didn't just burst onto the scene. He has right, that, kickboxing matches. Yeah, like, that he was a world kickboxing champion for half exactly. a fucking decade. Yeah, exactly. when he was still a People team. Like, oh, he just burst onto the scene. He's killing it. Yeah. No, he's been around a while. Yeah, just no, a different, he's... you know, not as popular uh, a combat sport, I guess. Not yep. as many eyes, I should say. Yeah, not as not as international. Right. Yeah, as he is now. Absolutely. But that is the last of the news and recent events that I've got here. So we will jump in. I've got a couple of different things that I do want to go over real quick from last weekend's menagerie of fucking combat events that we had. We had last Thursday night actually happening, Friday night for the replay, or rebroadcasting rather, of Bellator 235 from Tel Aviv, Israel. Saturday night, we had both UFC Sao Paulo down in Brazil and BKFC 9 in Biloxi, Mississippi. Holy shit, there was fucking great fights all the way across the board. So, started off here, we'll talk about Sao Paulo because that was a weird fucking card all the way around. And to their credit, Brazil was very much the Brazil that we expected. Every time an American fighter came out, Tula Mojere, whatever the fuck it is, you're going to die chance we're fucking coming out. Like the fights that should have clearly been judges' decision victories for the non Brazilians went to a draw in most cases. So it, it, Brazil was very much the Brazil we expected. But there were some interesting little moments throughout the evening. Um, one of the first ones right out of the fucking gate, one of the fights that we talked about was going to be something that you're going to want to keep your eye on to begin with the Ariana Lipsky versus uh, Mrs. Depadua. That fight, as well as making your debut on 48 hours notice and then missing weight on top of making your debut on short notice. Then we came in and Depadu lands an illegal upkick to an already downed Ariana Lipsky to just put even more muck on your fucking name in your debut. Um, come the end of the round, Lipsky absolutely had, you know, did what she said she was going to come in there and do despite the short notice opposition. So that, that was nice. But this is one of those situations where we were talking about last week. It's this is your fucking job. And if this is your job and you're signing a contract, Regardless of it being 48 hours out, you knew what you were signing up for. So to be the professional that you're supposed to be, your job is 50% showing up on that scale the way you're supposed to be, 50% showing up in the octagon to make the fight. She barely, barely did half of those. She came in overweight on short notice and then fought like shit and had an illegal upkick to a downed opponent in the middle of it that should have cost her the fucking fight. But they let it slide. They took away the position. They, they fucking let it go on, but it, it was an interesting one, to say the least. Next one, I want to give a... Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, that, that just goes to show what happens when you're um, rooting for the hometown. Right, instead of, yeah, instead of rooting for the legit fighter in that situation. Doesn't that bring up the argument about the judges as well? Shouldn't judges also be previous fighters or combat in any, it doesn't have to be even UFC fighters. You could be an ex-boxer, right. an ex-you know, Pancrase champion, something along the lines to where you I don't even care if you're a former goddamn military combat instructor. Exactly. Have some, some sort of combat some experience. knowledge. Yeah. 
I they've agree. been arguing this thing for for so long. They've been arguing that the judges should be, you know what I mean? And that's unfair that it's not, and it still hasn't changed. Right. That's like, uh, was it though, when I was speaking of the judging, I think they even need to add, instead of having three, put it up to five. That's Yeah, at that's a, what I was going to say. At a minimum five, because we're going to see a lot less of the stupidity. BKFC. BKFC <laughs> has five judges ringside, and they're only two-minute rounds. So the action's less, but there's more eyes on it to make sure the decisions, if they get there, are more accurate. I like that. It shows the infancy of this sport in general that nobody's perfected it yet. It's yeah. still not perfect all the way through. Even the highest organizations aren't perfect. Because yeah. they're all taking some things from other ones and saying, this is what we should do. I mean, at least the rules are kind of all together in some places. It just really depends. But I, other, I mean, ugh, go ahead. And with that being in the infancy, they're still fucking some things up, like no 12 to 6 elbows. That's yeah. fucking stupid. Yeah, I agree. You get a lot more from this than you do this. Yep. I mean, but, you know, what do I know? That's because yeah. somebody saw this one time it's in a movie. John McCain. Yeah, it's because John McCain. John yeah. McCain saw a 12 to 6 elbow in a movie, kill somebody, freak the fuck out. And big John because. McCarthy saved the fucking day by negotiating their ignorance into only taking away the 12 to 6 elbow and keeping MMA legal. What you would like to see, get some fucking science behind it. I don't know, y'all, the old sports science show that they used to have. Yep. Where they would show how hard people could hit or kick. Yep. Show the difference in the elbows. Take those pressureometers and fucking let them just smack the ever lip and piss out of them. And think about this. Nobody, there's no real devastating ground and pound fighters today anyways there's no mark coleman's today that that is their game plan and it, even this 12 to 6 elbow okay if you're on the bottom are you not more worried won't you be a little more defensive then if you know you could catch an elbow coming straight down to your forehead because what i see when it comes to ground and pound if you're not very good at it you don't connect with very many shots you see right. what i'm saying they're covering up they're moving out of the way they're rolling they're, they're just getting out of the way from catching these shots so why not make it legal when you can stand in front of a dude and he can kick you in the face or do a six to 12 anderson silva from bottom to top and knock right. a dude out how's that well, better well and even look at most of for bringing it back to what we were talking about earlier look at one of john jones's most predominant weapons he throws that fucking right elbow like it's a punch. And he does the same thing when he's in close and he's got you on the ground. He'll drop the left elbow like a fucking wrestling move. He'll use his, his body weight. weight. Yeah, yeah, he'll use his body weight to drop that left elbow on you. And look at how many guys he has just fucking broken and smashed this, orbital bones and shit. You're not going to miss as easy with this entire part of your arm. If you're yep. doing just this one coming down, that's a lot harder to hit the target. You can ca you can catch with a forearm. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, yeah. There's a lot more precision required. The rules don't make sense. That's what I'm saying. The infancy <laughs> of it all, they should there should be a collaborative, right? Like we all get together. We discuss what is proper right. for all organizations. If it's BKFC, of course, we don't kick and we have these rules and whatnot. But the audio oh. cut. Uh oh. Yep, it's still it's still gone. <laughs> Every time. There, there we there go. There you go. You're back. You're doing this to me. I even shut off some stuff. What is happening? Oh, you're all right, dude. Trust me. We've we've had this more than a few occasions. You're it all right. Fails. But uh, <laughs> it's just a whole thing. It's like they should get together. They should put this stuff together to where it's understandable to the viewer, especially the most the average viewer. Not somebody who knows. Right. Somebody who sees these certain things like the the 
one arm on the ground is a downed opponent or is an up opponent now, right? One arm. Well, no, they, they've changed it now. Anything other than the balls of your feet now make you a grounded opponent. And that that's one of the things that came up in the Lipsky match is that she was literally on her knees down over her and homegirl up kicked her. Up kicks are only legal if your opponent is standing. That's what I'm Otherwise, saying. it's still a strike to a grounded opponent. It doesn't matter Unless if it's an up kick or not. Unless you have two palms flat on the ground. Because yep. it was just one. Like Yeah, what, it used to be ago? just a hand on the ground was, was yep. down to palms. And then they changed yeah. it. It said you have to have both palms flat and feet on the ground in order to be considered grounded if you're standing. Yep. So what is that benefiting, though? Is it is it the idea of keeping them striking or stopping them from wrestling? What's when it was it's, one hand, it was there was a lot of manipulation, like specifically in the last Gegard Mousasi fight where he lifted the guy up so his hands weren't touching the ground anymore. But it's a fight. This, How's that well, illegal? Same right? reason nut shots are illegal. Okay. okay. Because well, and you got to look at it this way, too. To a government opponent, go back to the early Pride days when they were fucking soccer kicks. Soccer kicks, yeah. That whole idea of kicking somebody while they're on the ground. You can get a lot of fucking power behind a kick to somebody who's laying down or right. is on their hands and knees. Especially compared to the amount of defense they can put against it from that position. Yeah, so it, part of that, I get that rule because that's more of a safety aspect of prolonging the fighter's health and career. Look, yeah. you're you're already in there putting your life on the line, basically. There's a chance you can die in any one of these fights. You get hit in the wrong spot, you're dead. doesn't matter who you are. But to make the game somewhat safer – so that way it can still considered can still be sanctioned. You have to put some of those in. Don't get me wrong. The whole putting your palms on the ground thing to stop somebody from fucking hitting you in the head, I think is wrong. To be honest, I think if there's a knee down, a singular knee, that should be considered a grounded opponent. If you right. have two knees down, you're grounded. I don't care if your fucking hands are on the ground or not. If you're standing on the balls of your feet leaning over, that's your own goddamn fault. Stand the fuck upright. If you're worried about getting taken down, because that's what a lot of those fighters will do when they're worried about that takedown, they'll lean up against the edge of the fence, put both of their fucking hands on the ground, so that way they can only be rode. They can't catch a knee to the head. They can't catch a kick or anything like that. So they play it to their advantage, which I think is bullshit, but I understand the safety aspect of it, because if you've got all of your weight on your hands leaning forward, that knee comes up, there's no way you're going to be able to pull your hands up fast enough without fucking stopping that knee. No way. Not even just to deflect it a little bit. What about what about an argument for the stomp? Remember the stomp? Pride days of the stomp? Or you could, you remember that? Oh, yeah. Okay, so what about, is, is that not similar to uh, a downward punch, like a Dan Henderson to Bisbing? But that's illegal. You see what I'm saying? Like the appendages is what makes the difference. I think to, in most cases to people, it's like, is it a leg or an arm for certain strikes? And in right. the same time, is it a grounded opponent or not? Because the whole point is you catch a punch and your head's not moving anywhere. It's going to be twice as hard as if you're standing and your head can move. You see what I'm saying? Right. So that foot coming down is probably, it's going to be obviously more weight because right. Rather than you jumping in the air, like Fedor or whatever and coming down. Right. Yeah. Saying, the air crush. <laughs> it's some of it's kind of a uh, hypocritical. Right. Yeah. Some of the, absolutely. Ooh, like as you, you're taking one thing away. Oh, I want to like this. In any time that you're, if you're gonna stomp on somebody, go ahead and stomp on them. Just don't stomp on their fucking head. If they're on the ground, don't stomp on their head. You stomp <laughs> any other part of their fucking body you want. You want to stomp on their rib cage, stomp on their arms, whatever. You want to jump over their fucking outstreet 
outreached fucking legs to do some stupid karate ninja shit and try to land on them, <laughs> feel free. But don't stomp on their fucking heads when they're on the ground. Okay, yeah. what about because we were talking about the manipulation, like uh, Gegard would lift the guy up, right? What about the uh, the manipulation that uh, is used in submissions? For instance, the uh, Daniel Cormier tapping out Rumble Johnson. He pulled his entire face up so he could get under his neck. You don't right. see that's it. part of the game. That's part of jujitsu. Yeah, I was going to say, I, that's more jujitsu than it is a, that's a look, grapple. Yeah. I did train was in the military. I did combat as in the military, and I also – did jujitsu when I lived in California. I actually had the opportunity to train him twice a couple of times, which was fucking awesome. Oh, geez. How old was he? I just throwing it out there. Uh, this was 10 years ago, uh, 10, 11 years ago. Well, yeah, it was about 11 years ago the last time I trained with him. Prior to that, it was probably another six months and probably it was a couple of times over the course of about three years. I was trained. Awesome. And the one thing they're only saying, if you're worried about trying to get under somebody's neck, you take your fucking hand right here, under the nose. stuff it under the bridge of your nose. Do it to yourself once. Just put your hand right here and pull up on your fucking nose. It's going to force your head backwards. The face moves. It's yeah. the same way as pulling on somebody's forehead. That's just a normal, natural progression to get your little fucking snake under that throat, lock that some bitch in, and put them up. Same thing when you're trying to get the arm bar twisted. When you put pressure on the back yeah, of the thumb right, while you're the gripping wrist. the yep, wrist, yep, that whole thing, it, the it encourages the whole arm to turn, and it makes you able to put that fucking turn down you guys, on them. Yeah. Fans of jujitsu, like you guys both like striking and jujitsu, right? The whole game is. Oh, oh yeah, I love the, oh, the yeah. entirety of it. Is yeah. What makes it? Okay, so let me. You guys were we were talking about Dan Hardy earlier. Now, back when Dan Hardy was still kind of at the height of his thing, there was this jujitsu guy who was throwing flying arm bars and just he was winning the submission of the night award every time he fought nearly. And his name was Dustin Hazlett. You remember this fucking guy? His whole like right leg was tatted in like tribal. Yeah. I have where ha what happened to him? I, I was just trying to think. I don't know the last time I saw his name on like anything really, be it a card, a fucking a yeah. mention in MMA news, anything. That was he was fighting in the the early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, like two oh three. Yeah, but yeah. I I don't even think he made it to UFC one hundred. He didn't even make it past UFC one hundred. Mm. He was. That was still in when Chris Lieben was in his fucking prime too. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no shit. But see that what I, the only reason I bring it up is because it seems as if that's that's one of the few things that's lacking outside of Damian Maya, where there's a specific jujitsu threat. This is what I do. I'm gonna choke you. You have to avoid. You have to stop me from doing that. You see what I'm saying? Well, we saw that just last weekend. Yeah, with Ray. Yep. Which one? Hooray, the Gator himself, one of the, oh, I would yeah. say, even more so, the most mm -hmm. predominant BJJ Probably player than, than yeah. Damian Maya. You're right, you're right. I forgot about him because, uh, what did he do? He lost his last two fights. Mm -hmm. And, he, back. and it, he is just a scary cat. He's a yeah. scary dude. <laughs> He's one of those guys that's like, I got to fight that. All right. Well, and that's, that's exactly what the reason that made this weekend so entertaining is that Jacare is, in, in my opinion, the most dangerous BJJ player in the UFC. Maya, I admit, is one of the baddest motherfuckers around, but he's also a 155-pound BJJ he's older player. Too. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's he's on the far end of the back nine of his career. And he's also a one-trick pony. Yeah, that's all he's going to do. Whereas Jacare, exactly what we saw this weekend, 
Jacare has got decent striking. He's got a good cardio as well as an incredibly dangerous jiu-jitsu practice. The problem with Jacare is like we saw this weekend against Jan Blahovich is that if he can't get that takedown to bring you to the floor, his game plan goes out the fucking window. And when you get a guy who really isn't known for his grappling or his wrestling like Jan Blahovich, he's just so fucking big and so strong that he was not going to let you get him to the fucking ground. I think he stuffed 13 out of 16 takedown attempts from Jacare this weekend. Yeah, it was so, fucking ridiculous. I kept yeah, coming after like four or five. I was going to say, yeah, we got we didn't even make it to a dozen. We were like, dude, again? Again? Like, Jacare is the baddest jiu-jitsu player in the game, in my opinion. But if he can't get you to the ground, his standing BJJ ain't worth a shit. And that's the new evolution of MMA. Yeah, is exactly. You have to be good at it all. You got to be there everything. No, you can't one-trick no pony anymore. Well, you, look, it's probably – you can probably go back with – that changed – you can legitimately see where that changed happened about six years ago. Probably right. Give, or, got give or take a little bit. But there was a definitive moment when you saw that change from if you don't have everything – right you're not going to make it to the top. If you, the biggest change that we saw wrestling mm -hmm. wrestling came in way stronger than jujitsu at a point there. If you don't have a wrestling, you're not going to be able to take yeah. somebody down. It was the anti-striker move for a while it, there because it, it was really, predominantly jujitsu guys or strikers. And then when wrestling really started to come in, it changed the whole game because you could outmaneuver the jujitsu guys by being a better wrestler and moving your weight more and you could take the strikers down and throw their whole game off yeah well the guys like matt hughes george st pierre those guys they're yeah. wrestling that's what made their fucking legacies great because they were able to stop those people from hitting them by getting nick the take diaz nick diaz Roy in his nick prime was known just as much for grabbing you and throwing you to the fucking ground as he was for fucking punching you in the face Diaz was a great all-around fucking fighter. So what do you guys think about him versus... I think not going I, I, I think it's the UFC's never going to let it happen because if they somehow did, he would get beat up and end up sitting next to his brother getting stitches. Thank you. I needed to hear it from someone else besides my own. No, I, I fucking love Nick Diaz, but for aside from the fact that he's been sitting out longer than his brother has been, he hasn't been actively competing at 170 nearly as much as his brother has not to mention it's fucking street jesus who's been doing this since nick was still a fucking clean-faced little teenager running around stocked and being an asshole no and the other part of that at least his brother's won a couple fights in the last couple of years that's and true and he beat connor i mean he's got that on his record absolutely yeah absolutely. and that's that's what drove that fight right there is because had he have not beaten connor yeah, no, we wouldn't even be talking about Nate right we now. We wouldn't even have been talking about that fight. That would have never came up. Absolutely. His record was 20 and 11 before that fight? <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah, something like the that. Worst Don't get me wrong. He dispatched Pettis with fucking just great execution. That was the best I can remember ever seeing, Diaz. He legitimately fought more intelligently in that Pettis fight than I ever remember seeing him in his entire fucking career up to it's yeah. so disappointing for Pettis too, because you always have this like inner hope of like, hey man, you, you won one, let's let's do it. You are a champ because that's disappointing for a lot of these guys to become a one-time yeah. champ. 
You're yeah. always expecting. And, and then here's the other thing too, is when somebody beats them because it's because you were a champ at one point, whoever yeah, beats aim. you automatically thinks you should get a title shot. Like when, uh, uh, who was the guy? Uh, uh, Cannoneer. When Cannoneer beat yep. Anderson Silva, he immediately asked for a title shot. It's like, hey, guy, if you beat Anderson Silva 10 years ago, sure. Right. He's right. old man now. Doesn't well, and matter. Look at Izzy. When Izzy beat uh, Silva, they were saying, do you think you should get the title shot next? And he said, no. This was a fight because of this fight. This fight had nothing to do with the division. Exactly. This was a fight because this was the fight to make because our styles are so similar. He knew better than to say some shit like that. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, part of the reason why he got moved up so quick because he really did Anderson Silva, Anderson Silva, and then stayed humble about it afterwards. Yep. And the other thing you can't deny is Anderson Silva's reign as far as a 185-er, he never had to really go up to 205. He did, what, three times and slept everybody. Just a couple, yeah. Just to Slept play. everybody. Didn't even go for the title shot. That was never his intention. He ran that division on purpose and and – Everybody wanted to strike with him. Yeah. Travis Luter yeah. was Travis Luter and Chael Sonnen are the only two guys that really tried to wrestle him, and they both still lost. So everybody else tried to stand with him because they figured the showboating thing was going to lead to him failing, like with Chris Weidman, right. which is the most disappointing fight in my entirety. <laughs> like I was. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> It was going so well until that point. <laughs> you had me on bated breath. <laughs> and it's still out. I'm going to start talking in shorter sentences, I guess. <laughs> it's just, one, two, three, take a break. One, two, three, take a break. Am I still good? Okay, so anyways. <laughs> Jesus. But you, you get what I'm saying. Is What we need now in the UFC is, is that dominant champ who is also uh, a star. They make it right. worth watching every fight because John Jones, as good as he is, he's not finishing fights. We yeah. want him to come in there and dismantle you, but do it quickly. Make it a show. We don't care that you can beat him up all five rounds. That's fine. His leg was broken round two. Let's let's finish it. You see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Let's not draw it out, Mike Jackson. Exactly. Thank you. It's ridiculous, man, because there <laughs> is so the many truth. powers that should be more prominent because think about John Jones is what? One of the very first and only UFC fighters or MMA fighters to have a sponsorship from Nike. And blew it. Never happened. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That is 100 That's not what they meant when they said just do it. Oh, I like it. Perfect. But yeah, at the same time, there's like Khabib could even be one of these guys. People like him, but he's not. He is a religious man. He is a, I don't know. What else? He's not, he's not a talker per se, but he comes in there and beats you the whole time. You know what to expect, but he's not well, talking like he doesn't. He doesn't do a whole lot of finishing. Yeah, as much as people say. like to think it, he does, he yeah. wrestle fucks the he, hell out of he's, people. Yeah, he's my definition of the only one-trick pony left around right now. And look, I can't take anything away from him because of the fucking the caliber of wrestler he is. That's a hard fucking cookie to crack. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I I don't like him one fucking bit, but I will give credit where credit is due, and he is probably the most articulate sambo player in the UFC right now. His fucking combat wrestling is off the goddamn charts. The problem for me is that's all he's got. His striking is rudimentary at best. His jiu-jitsu is barely usable and only so after his sambo has done the vast majority of the work. Yeah, after it's tired somebody out to the point after where... he wrestle fucked you and wrapped your legs up until you've got nothing left, now he can slide that fucking arm underneath your neck because you're gassed the fuck out, right, Dustin? 
but that that and that right there means that he could have beat Dustin Poirier way fucking earlier. Because yep. how many times did he grab his neck? Like he was gonna choke. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Finish it. We don't want you to. Let's end this fight. You know, everybody watching is like, finish it. Let's go. We don't need. We don't need to see you beat him up the whole time. We get it. You can finish it. Right. Finish the fight. Get the money. You know what I mean? We're here for finishing. Don't it. get me wrong. I enjoy watching a long ass whooping sometimes, as long as the other guy's still in it. If there's something right. valuable, if there's a kind yeah. Of- but on the other side of that coin, I don't always enjoy getting all of this hype leading up to somebody and then seeing somebody get knocked out in the first thirty seconds. Right, yep, that's true. It's kind of a it's kind of tough cookie. Look, I understand some of these guys want to play it out because it's making them more money. That whole fight of the night bonus thing, extra bonuses where you get this and that on your contract. Okay, I get that portion of it. But go out and finish people. People aren't paying to watch you play fucking patty cake with somebody's face right. or for five rounds. Especially they literally are paying to watch somebody look like they're going to die. Right. Well, and, and on the reverse end of that, bringing it back to Saturday night, I know I, for one, was expecting to see Oliveira go in there and go for finish number 15 with another submission to add to the 13 he's already got the record for. And here we come with the craziest fucking knockout we saw all fucking night. The guy who is known to be one of the best submission artists in the UFC comes in and displays that he can knock you the fuck out at the same time, that you got to be aware because that knockout came out of nowhere, which is one of those perfect examples of a guy who's not looking for it, but found it in the moment Dude, and, and he shocked followed everybody. He followed the whole knockout. He yep. turned, he hit him again. Like he's like, he knew he was asleep. He's yeah. Like, it was done deal. I couldn't. Now that's what I'm talking about. If we get something like that from a Khabib, if he was to go in there, like I predicted, oh, he, yeah. would, he would knock out Dustin Poirier in round two because of what he did against Connor, where he did catch him. He did have, he does have the right. power. It's all right. about catching it in the timing, and Dustin's just a slippery guy. Yeah, I thought absolutely. he was going to catch him. He tapped him out. But point is, if he can get one of those, one knockout, one good knockout, right. the fear is going to be that much worse. Same thing with Israel Adesanya. If he wraps up somebody like he almost did Gasoline with the triangles he threw up and shit, if he pulls one of these things off against anyone, you're going to be scarier because even if you don't use it, people know it's there. Yep. You know, well, that's, go ahead. The, the only problem I have with that – that could be statement there is that look who he fought he fought fucking raging Al on 24 hours notice and raging Al caught the piss out of him quite a few times in there but we knew he wasn't winning the fight but he definitely he definitely put in work khabib needs a lot of work on his fucking stand-up game a fucking lot i don't think we're going to see that knockout from him anytime soon yeah, I mean, unless I he's fighting fucking Glass Joe oh, from fucking Mike Tyson's punch out, not right. gonna happen. <laughs> he's not gonna risk it even. That's not it's not his style, but if it was to happen, it's just gonna improve his star power. He's already undefeated. That in itself is a scary thing, but maybe more for him. The only way you're gonna get somebody to knock him knock him have knocked out somebody is to say, you know what? If you don't knock this person out, you need to eat ham for a fucking month. Right. <laughs> Now it's on the line. The steaks are on the line. Well, the ham steaks are on the line. Right. (laughs) Well, and speaking of on the line here, wrapping it back into Saturday, the last little piece that I wanted to talk about real quick from the UFC segment of Saturday night. 
the Bear Jew versus Shogun, in my opinion, being in Brazil, especially after Shogun had came out last week and said that he promised his wife two more fights and he's done regardless of the outcome. Knowing that this is one of the last three times, prospectively, we will see Shogun in the UFC octagon, in the octagon period, hopefully. How, how do you think he performed? Because TJ and I actually talked about this in the moment here, not to take anything away from Paul Craig. He looked fucking spectacular and did exactly what he needed to to get as close to a victory in Brazil against a Brazilian as, as I feel that you could really get in the fucking split draw. But the whole night from the very, I shouldn't say the whole night, the whole fight rather, from the first bell, it seemed to me like Shogun was a half step off in everything that he was doing. Well, yeah, I think it's I, to me, it's it's always a difficult thing in this game for the old guys to stick around and be dominant. Yeah. But it also kind of says more about your Paul Craig and Anthony Smith. Okay. Right. Just for the simple fact that it shows that somebody like Anthony Smith is as legit as they come right. to come in there and dominate these guys who are, even if they're out of their prime, oh, Shogun's a threat. He showed Absolutely. it against Craig, still yeah. a threat. He's still, yeah, he caught him Anthony, a couple times still. And think about the Anthony, remember the Anthony Smith fight against Shogun? It looked, he, Shogun looked different. Yeah. He looked like every shot that touched him hurt him. Hurt him. Yeah. Does that, that says, that says more about Paul Craig and Anthony Smith than it ever does about Shogun. Because if Anthony Smith is able to put that kind of power on him, barely touching him, and Paul Craig couldn't do the same, Shogun's right. still fine. What do we say about these two other guys? Shogun's always going to be Shogun is my thing. Maybe not five years from now, of course. He's not going right. to be fighting. But he's not the same Shogun he was from Pride in those days. I mean, Vanderlei Silva's not the same. They're always oh. going to – you know what I'm saying? They're going to be different. But Paul Craig, Anthony Smith, it shows something different about these two up-and-coming and contender even for Anthony Smith. Right. He was legit because when I watched that fight against Shogun, I'm like, well, this may, obviously he's going to do this to Shogun. He's going to make him look old. Right. And then he comes in against Paul Craig and does well. Yeah. He held, he held his own <laughs> fairly well, but it, it seemed like at least in terms of his defensive movement, he ate a lot more of those fucking popping left jabs that Craig was throwing out there than he traditionally would have. It seemed like he almost couldn't read the the backstep movement that he needed to, to keep the traditional Shogun pressure that we're used to really effective. Right. right. So, so basically the question is here is Paul Craig won by decision, right? No, no, it was a, no, split it's a draw. draw. Split majority draw. draw. That's what I'm saying. Or majority draw. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's in terms of fighting a Brazilian in Brazil, yeah. getting a draw when it goes to the judges like that. Yep. Like very rare. I, I yeah, I, I think it really is is more of a, a sign that Craig did the work. But that's what I'm saying. Was it was the draw slash victory? Was it because of the work that Craig did, or did it seem to anyone else like Shogun himself just felt a little off? No, I I really thought he looked off. Like, to be quite honest, he looked like a... It wasn't like a full half step behind, but he was a good quarter step so, behind. Yeah, not his, in the right time. It was like his timing was off from the from the onset. Look, 
if you take that first round out of the equation where he had held top game there, or no, the second round where he held top game for so fucking long, <coughs> that fight would have gotten their track. No fucking ifs, ands, or buts about it. However, Craig did land a fuck ton more strikes. When you go back and actually look at the strike count, it was a fuck ton. However, Craig wasn't throwing bombs. Right. He was just touching it, touching and touching and touching. He was throwing points, keeping the jab alive. And I think that's part of what caught him off guard is children expected somebody as big as Craig to go in there and fucking throw bombs with him. Right. And that's not at all what happened. Craig was actually in this is where I, I say that he looked about a quarter step off. Craig looked like he had more of a set game plan going in and stuck with it versus what Shogun did. Uh, and I think it may have been the effectiveness of the jab that we saw on Craig because his jab was on point when you're on your back, but when they were standing, that's A really weird fucking judging that was going on. I don't know. Uh-oh. I'm probably going to be the next one to robot. I was going to say, you just roboted a little bit. I just saw it in my computer set unstable <laughs> internet a little bit. Um, yeah. I have a feeling that um, he's going to end up... It would have ended up going a different way had the judges not seen top game as such a priority in scoring. Right. With no fucking ground and pound. Which was weird unto itself. Yeah, to come from Shogun with no ground upon, that kind of threw me. He just kind of laid on top of him as if he was tired, which that's where I felt he was really a quarter, a quarter step behind there. Right. Normally, you're, he was getting the side control a couple times. You would figure at least some little short elbows or something like that there, but to no avail, there wasn't a whole lot of ground upon. He just kind of laid on him like a fucking dead dog. It, that's where I thought the judging was a little fucked. Yeah, there was a lot of top time for him in round two. A fucked out of it. Right. But Craig wasn't taking any damage, though. Yeah, he wasn't doing anything with it, really. No. And then when he did get the brief top time in the third, Craig got back up and got a takedown of his own. That nullifies that out, which is where you end up with the draw because of all the striking that Craig did in the first round and then the early parts of the third round. Right. That nullifies out all that top game, so they end up with a draw because apparently top game laying on somebody like a fucking dead fish counts as equal amount of points as getting outstruck. You know, I think for me, it really looked like he started. Well, it's not like he looked like he's starting. He has been taking that step into that back nine in the career, right. getting the whole 16 on his career right now, um, literally at this point. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, I think he's just, I think part of it, it has to do with the age, but the other part of it, I don't think that, I don't think he was well prepared for that fight. And I, th- I'm not taking anything away from when Anthony just fucking dismantled him. Right. But that's a whole different fighter than the Bear Jew. Yeah, Bear Jew wants to get you to the ground. He wants to make it nasty. He wants to wrestle he, with you. Yeah, he's a he's a fucking tight quarter fighter. It was weird seeing him actually sit there and pop jabs out to keep him at distance. And right, you think it was like a it was a what? Like it was a uh no two words sounds like 
Does it work? <laughs> I have no idea what you said. I said, uh, do you think it's uh, maybe because of like a respect thing because he's a veteran or because of Brazil, just being in Brazil? It, it could be partially that because, I mean, you're going in there with, uh, I mean, look, who's a fucking legend in himself, period. So it partially could be that and it partially could be the atmosphere that you're in because you see that a lot when people end up fighting in Brazil. That atmosphere is fucking ferocious if you're not from Brazil. Now... I'm not saying that there's a hometown advantage to things, but sometimes that place has the tendency to do it to folks. Well, that and of any place where this situation would be particularly odd compared to the rest of the world, in my opinion, Paul Craig did come on Ariel Hawani's show Monday and mentioned that he did have no less than three acai bowls while he was in Brazil. And we have heard from fighters in the past, if you know your history, those acai bowls have been known to make your USADA test come up a little strange. So wow. I'm, I'm just saying, Vitor, sometimes <laughs> you got to double check your acai. And he said he had no less than three. So there might have been strange things afoot. I just need to make sure he's um, still on the picogram level and he'll be safe. Right? No shit. Oh, but... Oh. Oh, your attorney, no. <laughs> right. But from there, that will wrap up our little UFC recap segment here. Um, I do want to take a, a little moment here to mention, for those who did not catch it, I fully endorse, I would not be upset if you stop watching this right now to go do it. Go watch BKFC9. There was only one prelim fight, and I think it was nine fights total on the main card. Every single fight, top to bottom, on that whole card was spec-fucking-tacular. The biggest disappointment slash lull in the entire evening was the very first fight of the main card where you had a 31-year-old dude fighting a 51-year-old dude. And the 51-year-old dude won because when the 31-year-old gentleman knocked the other guy down, he hit him in the back of the head after he was already on the ground on one knee, and it was instant DQ. That was a little odd to see, especially in bare knuckle when you already get to do some serious fucking damage to a guy. It was cleanly and intentional. He was just he was going with him to the ground and then stopped himself and stood up, but it was too little too late. But... Aside from that nonsense, the main event absolutely lived up to every bit of the hype that was anticipated. And I do have to say, as, as sad as it made me to see the goat drop, that just solidifies the fact that Jason Knight is a fucking badass. And he even said in his interview that anytime. Artem's not standing across the ring from him. He's going to be in Artem's corner. Those guys are legitimately friends. And they put on such a fucking knockdown, drag out, literal brawl that it was just absolute, pure, beautiful fucking chaos. And it shows you how genuinely tough both of those fucking guys are because Artem stood up and was ready to keep fighting when fucking Knight dropped him with that last left shot to the fucking broken out eyeball and swelled it shut for the end. My surprise of that night was the co-main event. 
watching yeah. Beltran make a comeback. Joey Beltran. He was just getting legitimately beat up in the first, man. first like two rounds. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he just came to life and he couldn't dodge a left jab from Chase Sherman to shit to save his fucking life for the entirety of the first round. And for whatever reason, maybe he needed that Rocky rope dope hit me a couple times and get me in the game thing to happen. But once that second round really started to set in from, I'd say the middle of the second round on, he absolutely changed the whole fight dynamic and was putting in legitimate work. Yep. And I think what the other thing I noticed in there, he changed from backing off to being pressuring and that pressuring threw him off and it completely fucked him all up. It was a, it was a beautiful fight and it went to a decision, but that was one of the best fucking like possible ways to go to decision. Cause it was a beautiful Yeah. And that was the only fight fight on the whole card that went to a decision. Ironically, the heaviest guys that fought all night and it was a legitimate had to go to a decision because it was a full-on five-round fucking war that had to go to the judges. But, man, Joey Beltran absolutely earned that fucking victory the way that he turned that fight around. That title was well-earned. Absolutely, It was yeah. a beautiful fucking Long fight. may he reign. <laughs> and glad Dum Dum got knocked out over there, too, because that was yeah. fantastic. No shit. Well, that broke was... his fucking hand. Bro, yeah, I was going to say broke couldn't his get hand. Up. Couldn't get up. Yeah, couldn't stand himself up. No, uh, that was funny as hell. That yeah, there was some great fucking fights on BKFC nine, and a little bit of fuckery. Watch yeah. some of the people walk out, and you'll know what fuckery we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I did. That's I think that's probably my biggest problem with bare knuckle fighting championship right now is they let them do, and I'll say this: Bellator gets a little fucking crazy because Bellator even gives guys like fucking pyro and shit as well, but the stuff that they let these guys get away with in their walkout for BKFC, especially this past weekend, the one that we're talking about is a little fucking ridiculous to the, to say the least here. I'm, I, and as, as weird as it is in hindsight, now looking at the way the total night unfolded, I do think that Johnny Bedford versus Artem would be a good matchup. But when he called him out in the moment before that fight had happened, I think it might have been a little egregious. Just a smidgen. Yeah. What What are you going to do, though? Yeah. (laughs) But from there, we'll move along. The last little part of this recap segment I do want to go over here. I do want to take just a moment here because aside from, obviously, a a fair bit of local-induced fluff because Bellator was in Tel Aviv, Israel, so... Obviously, there was a, a little bit of local push-in like there is in, in most overseas cars that we see in a situation like this. Um, the one, I, I don't want to say good, I will say the one acceptable bit of, of fluff that Bellator kind of pushed on us this last weekend that I was okay with was uh, father and son Gozali, uh, both winning by submission against their opponents in the first round the father winning first and then retiring, actually leaving his gloves in the center of the octagon. Uh, he is actually a pretty big uh, MMA practitioner over in Israel. He's one of the, the founding members, their founding fathers. They call him the Batman of MMA over there. So he won his match by submission in the first and then retired. And then uh, I believe it was about 45 minutes later in the card, his son came out against his opponent. It was the first time they'd ever had a father and son on the same card in Bellator. 
and the son also won by submission different submission both chokes um but also won in the first round as well but the big moment of the night the i don't want to say shocker because it, we we all we talked about it this is kind of how we saw it was going to go but the way that it unfolded was what really shocked me the most my man linton vassal the fucking swarm my dude battered and fucking beat mercilessly karatanov and after what we saw karatanov do to matt mitrione mouthpiece incident aside Litton, Vassal is my dude. I am Team Swarm. I don't fucking care who he fights against. I am Team Swarm. But there was a little part of me that deep down was a little worried that Karatanov was going to get one of those fucking wild looping lefts that he throws sometimes. Anybody is in trouble if they catch one of those. And it was the complete fucking opposite. Linton had the pressure on him the whole time, ended up getting him belly down, flattened out on the fucking ground, and just raining the fuck down on him to make a solid stamp and a solid case in the heavyweight division to pay the fuck attention. And for my money, there is no one else right now in the heavyweight division that has any kind of a clear shot looking to challenge that fucking belt that Bader shouldn't be holding to begin with. And I think if he doesn't wash his ass, my boy Linton is going to have that piece of gold on his fucking wall before 2020 is out. I totally agree there. I like uh, uh, Linton's a fuck. He's a monster. Was he not at 205? He was. He fought at 205 for the most part, but he has decided 205 was too much of a cut for him. He's one of those middle guys. He generally was like not quite full heavyweight status, but was still at the point where he could cut and be a good 205. Mm -hmm. But when you got ass hats like Bader who walk around it near 300 and still somehow make it down to 205 to compete, it just it makes it too fucking hard and is thick because Linton is a fucking tree trunk, man. Yeah. He's a big fucking dude and he's cut his shit. So when him fighting at heavyweight now, he can just embrace the fucking bulk and he's a problem at fucking big status, man. He really is. Yeah. Well, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens for his 2020. It's 2020, I think we're going to see a changing of the guards there. I, I feel very much like that's the way it's going to go. So but, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to no, say, right, so, uh, Linton Vassell is probably going to be against uh, Bader here soon, right? That's that's what I'm thinking because I don't see any other competition in the heavyweight standings that give any kind of a real problem or have really put on any kind of a dominant performance because even though it's twice removed now from it happening when the original Karatana versus Mitrione matchup was originally made before the nutshot heard around the world. They were saying that the winner of Karatana versus Mitrione was likely going to be the next person that was going to get to challenge Bader. And then the fucking, the crack pop kapow that hurt every fucking man that watched it happen. And then we had to wait. And then we got the subsequent rematch with the fucking mouthpiece gate happening. And that was a weird fucking situation, but in, in the the whole of what became that two-part fight, we did get to see that Karatanov is a fucking power striker. Mm-hmm. And if they were saying that one of those two was going to be next, Mitrione obviously missed his fucking ticket by not making sure he had his goddamn mouthpiece. And then if you look at what fucking the swarm 
just did to Caratana, flatten him the fuck out in the middle of the ring and beat the shit out of him. I mean, if they're going to be using MMA math to call the original fucking winner of that fight the next top guy to go for the belt, how can you really deny LDV the next fucking one to go at one of those fucking belts that Bader shouldn't have either one of to begin with? Right. So with that being said, I have to ask this. Um, what do you think about these fighters that are dominant in Bellator ever having an opportunity? Like, could a Linton Vassell do well and accelerate in UFC is basically the question. Michael Chandler, Joe Warren, all these other guys that are big names in that organization only. I think there's a select few. Yeah, a, a couple of them. LDV being one of the few, I think would still, ironically enough, I think at, at heavyweight, he's going to run show in Bellator. I think, ironically enough, at 205, though, he would make John real fucking nervous because he's got a full-rounded toolbox, and he's bigger than John. I think that would be a real fucking problem. And if you look at the list from John down, John's basically got everybody underneath him running roughshod right now. I honestly believe Linton would give John a run for his fucking money at 205. That's what I at thought. Heavyweight, at, at heavyweight, I think it could get a little trickier because you got guys like fucking Derek Lewis and even uh, Blagojevich or Blagojov or whatever the fuck his yeah. hole in the hard booty hole name is. <laughs> like, there's some, there's some legitimate, big, strong fucking world breakers, especially like Nganu. Like, I love fucking LDV. Like I said, I'm Team Swarm regardless, but I would be legitimately worried for him to fight, to fight a dude with the crazy fucking power of Vengano. Look what he did to fucking Alistair, man. Like, yeah. I, and I he's, like, I'm, I was going to say, he's, he's evolving even more from there. So I think heavyweight in UFC, Linton would have a problem. Light heavyweight, I think he'd do fine. But I think for the most part, most of these Bellator guys are Bellator guys for a reason. Yeah, and I don't think they would want to make the transition because I would imagine there's a large money cut because they get sponsors and shit in Bellator and they can right. fight other organizations. Exactly. Oh, exactly. That's the same reason you just saw Little Pettis go over to fucking Bellator. Yes, sir. Yes, go sir. where the money's at. Little Pettis is not a bad fighter at all. Fuck no, he's not. He's, he's going to make a lot more money. And to be honest, he's going to do well in that division there. He's going to do really oh, yeah. well. Oh, yeah. Now, would Mighty Mouse have had a chance at Bellator? Did they not have that weight class? I don't even think that was ever an option. I think the only reason Mighty Mouse isn't in the UFC anymore is because that trade got proposed for fucking Askren. Ugh, the worst. Because well, Mighty Mouse's okay. contract wasn't up. That was the, He went to one because of the trade. It wasn't a contract issue. Wow. Dana didn't want fucking Mighty Mouse around. Yeah, Dana, Dana didn't like Demetrius. It was very, very he publicly. he didn't play made. by... He didn't play by his rules or he didn't want to do he didn't want to be a fucking company man. But but he likes Cejudo? That's because Cejudo's a yes man. <laughs> oh yeah, I was gonna say that dude's a fucking cartoon. So, yeah, Cejudo's a yes man. He does anything the boss says, he jumps anywhere Dana wants promotion done. Cejudo goes over to wherever that card is, gets on the mic and calls out the most predominant chick fighter there. Yeah, tough yeah, guy. He, yeah, exactly. I See, that's one of the few situations, and we've talked about this a little bit before, that's one of the only real situations where I would 100% be okay with letting a man and a woman fight on a professional stage. Let Cejudo and Shevchenko fight. He wants the 125-pound intergender belt. Let him try. I would love to see what Valentina would do 
to that fucking Muppet. <laughs> Bring his gold medal. She yeah. would fucking work that, him. That dude's got a head that looks like a target. It's it's meant for those shins to be, you know, on. <laughs> she she would fuck him up for sure. Yeah, dude. She would fuck his whole world up. Take take all of his ego for sure. Sit him down yeah. with TJ. Yeah, no, and she she told him when he called her out, she was like, "Bring your gold medal because you'll be leaving at the end of the night without that too." Yeah, we can wrestle also if you want. Yeah, <laughs> like she like she that. would she's fuck scared. him up on all fronts, dude. She's I a wanna, scary broad. Let me throw this out there for you real quick. Okay, you know she's uh she's redheaded right now. Shevchenko. Mm-hmm. You know who else yes. is redheaded? Paige Van Zant. Is she redheaded? I thought she went brunette. Well, she's dark. She definitely went from blonde to something. Yeah, else. they 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 yeah. both very much went from light to dark in their hair color, which is a Why? whole different look. Yeah, <laughs> Are they doing it it's, it's that time of the year. Right. Yeah. You know, right. girls in the fall tend to go darker, and then in the summer they go lighter. Come on, now. Right. Earth tones. Earth tones. Whole- <laughs> <laughs> I live with one. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it happens. Oh, but from there. I do want to bring this down to what is inevitably going to be the meat and potatoes of this particular episode here. The only card we've got to talk about this upcoming weekend, and that is the return, the comeback part du Bellator London 2 MVP versus the last minute nobody that they found to replace the fight that he actually had against a soup can that no one else was interested in either. So this card being what it is, there is not a whole lot of anything really legitimately worth talking. So for as much as I know it's going to break the hearts of several people who are watching live with us and who are going to watch this replay or listen to this replay on their bike ride to work later, we actually do not even have a casual corner for this evening. This card is this casual that even the casual turned it down. So we have no casual corner for this particular evening. And on that note, I'm going to try and keep this fairly condensed because while this is a card that I do recommend the the folks who enjoy the MMA world like we do tune into, this is also not a card I'm going to push the casuals to really look towards because aside from this literally being the last MMA event of November, they're going both all of the organizations really are taking the rest of the month off for the holiday. Um, this just isn't a really well-stacked card to begin with. We're coming off of, they just had another card in Tel Aviv six days ago. So we don't have a lot going on over there to begin with. So the first fight I am going to make just a quick mention of, just because it's the one that I think, despite the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the main event and the co-main event, this is the one fight that I feel has the most chance to give you some kind of a firework set off, some kind of a, an entertainment factor for the evening. And that is the prelim fight of the psycho Charlie Ward versus Pietro Panini. Charlie Ward, for those who don't know, is the gentleman who got Conor McGregor to jump up and over the ring and come go apeshit and then shove Mark Goddard. So... Charlie Ward is another one of those crazy Irishmen who is fucking all over the goddamn place. And most likely part of the reason that James Gallagher was even in London to get into his little kerfuffle with Mike Kimball over the, the week. But this fight is an interesting stylistic matchup because Charlie Ward is a 
big fucking gorilla versus Padini, who is more of a well-rounded, more of a grappling type of fighter. Not to say that he doesn't have the striking, but that's not his forte per se. So stylistically, this is going to be interesting to watch these two matches. I don't want to interrupt you, but I just heard the the child. As soon as you started that, man. I'm going to keep it to three words or less. <laughs> no, all I was saying is every time I've... All I, all I <laughs> there you go. Every time I've ran from the camera is because I've been taking care of the kid. Gotcha. So, <laughs> Why is your kid not in bed? It's fucking midnight. Dude, he keeps escaping. He just learned how to escape. So oh, keeps, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I just see him walk out. I'm like, what are you... Go back to the <laughs> Dude, let me... Give you a little piece of advice. Dad to dad here on an MMA show. We're going to help you out. Benadryl. <laughs> they hey. do make child's Benadryl. I'm just saying. Alle- I'm, that is allegedly a thing. Yeah. <laughs> just Fair keep enough. it to the recommended dose for their weight. That's all I'm saying. Right, of course. Right. But what I was going to say about the Charlie Ward thing is like that kind of made him relevant when Connor jumped yeah. over the. Right, it really was- did. Yeah, it kind of pushed pushed him into the spotlight more than he would have on his own. For sure, for sure. Oh, yeah. and that's well, and that's the thing is that it's not that he's a terrible fighter, but it, exactly that 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 whole Connor incident really shoved Charlie into the spotlight and kind of got him more attention than he would have on his own. I agree completely. Yeah, and it's not necessarily a bad thing if he can string no, some not things at together. All. Yeah, exactly. Because especially if you're going to run your mouth like Connor, you better. Right, exactly. If you're going to take the page out of his playbook, you better be able to back it up just like he did. That's good. I agree. But that's all I have to say on that fight. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. So that, ironically enough, will bring us to the potato side dish in the meat and potatoes of this meat and potatoes segment here. The co-main event, Fabian Edwards a name some might find a little familiar versus Mike Shipman. Another name folks might find somewhat familiar here. Now the familiarity in this situation on both sides of this is a little ironic, but for opposite reasons here, Mike Shipman is going to sound familiar to folks because he used to be a UFC fighter. Uh, Just couldn't, again, couldn't quite string enough together to, to be Dana's needle mover. So they let him go. He's actually not been doing terrible in Bellator, but I I wouldn't say he is on a hot streak. Um, the opposite side of that, the reason that Fabian Edwards might sound a little familiar to people isn't because he was ever in the UFC, but because he has a famous sibling. Well, I wouldn't say famous. Let's say an infamous sibling in the UFC in one Leon, I like three-piece Minnesota, Edwards. The man himself who caught that Jorge hand behind the back warm welcome backstage for interrupting Jorge's interview, his brother. So, again, in in this situation, much like I stand on on the Pettis brothers situation, I feel that even though they're both professionals, there's a good one and there's a not so good one. And much like how my feeling on the Pettis brothers now sits my belief is that the Edwards brother with the most talent is now fighting in Bellator as opposed to the other one in the UFC. That's one of the reasons that I feel that this fight is going to be 
quite interesting because Mike Shipman is not a soup can by any stretch of the imagination. He just was not quite top tier level and they never really gave him a chance to blossom, I guess would be the right way to put it versus Fabian Edwards, who isn't quite on a hundred percent tear in Bellator right now, but has the resume and the skill set to verify that he, and at least for my money is the better of the two Edwards brothers. And I kind of wonder if we ironically would ever put the, the Edwards brothers against each other, how that would come out. I think Fabian would probably be on the, the winning end of that one as well. But I, I think this is going to be the, the same for the matchup here. I think Shipman, for as good as he is, I don't think he's going to be able to get around Fabian. Yeah, Shipman, Shipman lost his last fight. Now was, was it five months ago, yep. I think? Almost almost six, yeah. Five, six months ago. Yeah, he had a good streak going there. He had like four or five in a row before that. And then fucking boom, done, sleeping. But coming off of something like that and things you're not the uh, I you're not the fucking bee's knees you're still a middle of the pack guy I would and I can even say middle of the pack he's he's still I, I would say that can he's in contender right or a, yeah. pro, or a very high prospect yeah time. I was gonna say a, a hot prospect it'd be yeah warm prospect I won't say hot but yeah. I'm sorry <laughs> but um in this case um Edwards, I think Edwards is going to end up winning this one, probably in the second round with the TKO. I think that's a pretty pretty accurate call, really. Uh, there's Edwards has looked way more fucking on fire lately, and every time I watch him, he gets better. So we'll see, and maybe we will get lucky and see those two brothers get a fight once. That'd be kind of awesome. <laughs> I, I think it'd be interesting as shit to turn out, just to, just to see. <laughs> I mean, any any brothers fighting. Like, I've always wanted the Diaz brothers to fight. Good God, yes. That I think that would be spectacular as well. The, just a nonstop round of stock and slaps back and forth. Just make them put on boxing gloves. Let's go 12 rounds and get right. a pay-per-view out of it. Make right. No shit. For these guys. No I shit. don't think either one of them has the gas tank for 12 rounds. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's true. Five. It have to be a it have to be a six round exhibition. Right. <laughs> Two minute rounds. Yeah, no kidding. But that will bring us to the flimsy McDonald's burger that is the meat of the meat and potatoes in this meat and potatoes portion of the meat and potatoes segment of the show here. The main event of the evening. It's shit. It's absolute shit. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you people. This is fucking garbage. Now, the problem here is that this fight was already going to be a hot diaper full of bullshit from the beginning because they were originally going to give MP, excuse me, MVP another soup can to try and make him look good after Douglas Lima put him flat on his fucking face like the ignorant cocky bitch that he is. So for whatever reason, he still somehow is getting that Scott Coker mouth shot and getting soup can after fucking soup can to try and make himself look better, even after Lima absolutely exposed the fucking bullshit that is the MVP game. But we actually had that soup can pull out of the fight, and now we have a fairly short notice MVP versus no-name fighter. 
Malilini, I believe, is the gentleman's name who stepped up. And I, I will give him this. He put on a very convincing stare down at the uh, official weigh-in face-off thing um, this afternoon. But I realistically don't see this going any way different than every one of MVP's last dozen fights with the exception of the Daily and the Lima fights. It, it's going to be MVP versus a guy who's not genuinely prepared for a point karate fighter of MVP's caliber. And no one over in Bellator really has the answer for that particular style in those soup can rankings where they keep dragging these fighters from to fight MVP. So until Scott Coker really gets tired of seeing fans bored with MVP's bullshit and in-ring Pokemon fucking Thanos glove shenanigans and legitimately makes him start fighting the good fighters in that division, like D Douglas Lima showed us he genuinely shouldn't be doing, but Douglas Lima is running that division for a fucking reason, in my opinion here. MVP is really just like their dollar store Conor McGregor in, in the Bellator world. He's lots of glitz. He's lots of glamour. He talks a lot of shit. And when they put him in there with a soup can, he backs it up. But they're putting him in there with soup cans to back it up. So it's it's going to be a fight. I, I do always encourage combat fans to to watch the cards all the way through just because you never know you could always be surprised but this is one of those times where i'm not going to even pretend that this fight has the potential to be exciting other than the fact that the gentleman he's fighting always has that puncher's chance and we can always have our fingers toes everything crossed that mvp gets cocky like he did in that douglas lima fight and the stoop can catches him I, I don't know how realistic of a chance that is because I couldn't find a whole lot on his opponent to really kind of gauge that on, which is also why we don't have a casual corner to discuss it, but it is a fight and nonetheless. You know, um, you made a good point. Um, the, the, and this is what I'm going to liken this to. Uh, MVP to Scott Coker is Voldemort to Dana White. Yeah, kind of. Just feed him soup cans so that way we can get his name out there, draw people to him. Because that's, to be honest, it's the same fucking thing that's happening over and over and over again. And then when they put him up against somebody who's worth a damn. I was just going to say, and ironically, in both situations, when they get put up against legitimate talent, they eat a bag full of dicks. Yeah. They're literally, it's a, and I don't like MVP at all. I, I dislike him wholeheartedly. As I He's said, the only thing I will give him is as far as point karate fighting goes, he is legitimately world caliber. I will, I will give him that. I give credit where credit's due, no matter how much I don't like a motherfucker. I've said it about DC. A if he wants the point situations. karate fight. Let's make a little exhibition between him and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. That's what I keep saying, man. And I'm saying Wonderboy would pick him apart. Yeah, there. Yeah, that would be a great fucking matchup. They could both make welterweight. Let a fucking 170 exhibition match between fucking MVP and Wonderboy happen, and see if it doesn't sell more than fucking any that either fucking fight has either fighter has done 
in the respective organizations before. Uh, I'll say Wonder Boy is much better than fucking MVP, though, period. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, not only in terms of his, his creativity and his striking, but uh, his speed as well. As, as, as much as MVP uses his speed to put his point karate fighting into practice, Wonder Boy uses it both offensively and defensively because he uses it to hop out of range of strikes to get thrown at him, too. So, yeah. MVP sits pretty flat footed a lot of the time for a, a lot point of karate time. fighter, which is kind of strange. But hey, I guess, you know, teach their own. Exactly. And what happens when you do that in the MMA game? You find out you eat a big hot bag of dicks. Yes, sir. <laughs> Face down in the canvas somewhere. All I can hope for is that, um, we see a puncher's chance from the soup can. And and, and that's gets, exactly why I'm endorsing to, it or why I'm I, talking about it. I, look, I rarely wish ill will on people, but I hope that dude catches him so hard it breaks his fucking jaw so that they'll wire that mouthy cocksucker's face yeah. shut. Wait, I, I, would, I, I, would I don't want to interrupt you guys too badly, but uh, who's, he, who's he actually fighting? Do we know? It's giovanni malini i believe is the gentleman's Mal- name Malilio. The- but it's, uh, it's the second last minute replacement they've had to put in after the first soup can they found for him where's he failed from? out he a new bellator fighter has he been around yeah, yeah he's, he's he's a new guy okay i have to ask this because i also see this a lot and i'm, I'm kind of confused as the results did paul daly choke out mvp no how did that fight end that was uh wasn't it a draw because that was at the the welterweight, or no? It was it was uh-huh. split decision MVP, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Because I uh, Paul, Paul Daly was wrestling a lot, is what it was. That's why I unlike it's not unlike Paul Daly, but against MVP it makes sense. But at the same time, like you guys are saying, I fully agree. The dude is a a talker and not in a good way. Who was that right. other guy that kind of fights like him that he just beat? He he had his hands down. He fights with his hands down. He's uh, I think he's a white dude. And he just beat somebody in a very technical fashion the fight prior. And then he fought MVP, and MVP made him look like he didn't know what he was doing. Oh, fuck. I know which one you're talking about. Uh, I don't know. Fucking name. But the guy was good. The guy who fought him, and then MVP made him look like he like just looked like he was timid. Like he was scared to be in there with MVP. I don't know what the guy's name was, but he had a really nice knockout right before that, and I've never heard of him before. He's an older guy. I'd have to go back and all. We all can just Google. It would either be Richard Keeley. It was probably the Richard Keeley fight. Okay. The guy fights like a karate stance, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It would have been a Richard Keeley fight. Because the only other one before then would have been all the way back to July or June of 2018. Oh, yeah. When he beat David Riggles, which wasn't that great of a fight either. What do you think about about that, that guy that we just said? Richard. Richard Keeley? Yeah. Keeley is another one that I feel with time they could have developed into a decent fighter. But because they always need meat for the fucking grinder that is MVP because they can't ever make him stay fighting against legitimate talent. The only time it seems he does that is when he pulls it in the fucking tournament and mm-hmm. Douglas Lima puts him in a fucking orbit. Made him look but bad. Yeah, it, it seems like the the guys at Bellator, for whatever reason, Scott Coker is just perfectly content with throwing soup can after soup can at well, is, fucking is he MVP. Is the matchmaker at Bellator? Yeah. Also? Yeah. Wow. wow, that's weird. Yeah. That's weird. 
Yeah, Scott Coker left the UFC and basically has taken over all matchmaking at Bellator. That's it's pretty much his baby now. Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation over there. It's as I said, it's it's combat sports, and as a hardcore MMA fan, I'm gonna be watching begrudgingly. And if you know people are looking for MMA, that's the only game in town we've got this weekend. So you know, if you're looking to learn, I absolutely say that this will be a learning experience more often. In this card, I feel like what not to do than what to do. But, you know, it is combat sports. And so I've got to kind of advocate for folks to watch it. But for sure, that is all we have got on the docket for this evening. So before we take it all the way on out of here, I do want to thank both of you gentlemen for coming along and, and giving me another opinion here. Now, if folks are willing to, to try and sit through more than three word segments here and, and piece it along, where would they be able to find you once the show's over, Patrick? Uh, I'm all over social media at the number nine minute podcast, just the number nine, spell it out. Or you can find me at Patrick Michael comedy. Pretty easy to find on Instagram. I, I really only mess with Instagram, but other than that, that's all you got. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you popping in here with us. My pleasure. Now, if folks weren't already on the Wednesday night shenanigans schedule with us and they need a little bit more of an education of why Green Bay is costing folks like myself so much fucking money this year to charity. How would someone go about getting a hold of you, TJ? Well, if we're worried about charity, all you have to do is bet against them. That's all I'm saying. But um, if you want to catch me Wednesday nights right here, Golf Tea Vapes, so they're right there. 9.30 Central Time on the YouTubes. I'm occasionally on the Instagrams. You can always put something into the DMs there, that will get answered, but you're not going to see me post a lot there. Most everything I do is on the low low. Uh, but yeah, feel free to come talk shit. As always, it's been a blast. It's nice to have another mouth round today. That's just fucking fantastic. Hopefully Absolutely. this happens a couple more times and he um, gets his internet game up. Right, I was going to say, but for, you know, for a first time, I understand it. Like you said, we've, we've had several situations where that shoe was on the other foot, so I am more than willing to be patient. I understand. And I can't talk too much because mine apparently decided to dirt when it should have deeped. Yeah, yeah. You, you had you had a couple of Mr. Roboto moments, but, you know, hey, happens to the best of us. But thank you again for your time this evening. I do always appreciate having gentlemen like you and, and Mr. Patrick Michael here with us to give some opinions aside from just my fat mouth running off bullshit. So with that being said, if we gave you something interesting to think about, if we made you chuckle, if we give you a point of view that you didn't already have about some of the things that we talked about here, give us a thumbs up, maybe a subscribe. Hell, if you really tickled your fancy, share an episode. We're trying to grow the goddamn thing. On the note of growing the goddamn thing, we also do now have a Patreon live. Link is in the description. If you would like to try and help support this channel financially, it would be greatly appreciated. The link is down below. If Patreon's not your thing because you don't want to give them a cut, I understand that. There is also a direct PayPal link down in the belows if you would rather just kick a little something down there. Either way, any support is appreciated, whether you're sitting around in chat or you're giving a couple bucks a month. I appreciate each and everybody who is supporting. But if we're not your cup of tea, and we're just a couple of dipshits sitting in front of cameras talking out our ass without knowing what we're talking about. Go ahead and give the video a thumbs down. We earned it, and I won't dispute it in the least bit. But that's all we have for this evening. So until next time, just remember, you can root for anything. Don't let ignorance stop you, unless you still think Epstein killed himself.
Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with expert timing. There was funky China men from funky Chinatown. They were chopping them up. They were chopping them down. It's an ancient Chinese art. And everybody knew their part. From a fainting to a slip. And a kicking from the hip. Everybody was kung fu fighting. 